Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the Star Wars Forum UK podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show. This is episode 7, Mr. Trilogo. Joining me as usual are my four favourite Star Wars collectors in the galaxy. First up is the hardest member of the podcast team. He's been camping not once but twice in October. Saying that is a shame he's not as bright as he is hard after filling the diesel school minibus full of unleaded petrol. Good evening, Richard Hutchinson. <laughs> evening, guys. Next up, we have our resident Welshman. And if it wasn't for Pete, myself and him would still be in a bar in Ghent. It's Gant Criddle. Good evening, Squire. Good evening, guys. After having his baby last month, he now has sleep deprivation. If you hear someone snoring during this podcast, it is without doubt Ben Coomber. Or it could be any of us lot during Ben's sections. Evening, Ben. <laughs> Evening, chaps. How is the little one? Yeah, she's well. Mother and baby are doing fine. We're just uh, getting used to life that's uh, completely different to the one that I knew before. But uh, no, it's all good. Good stuff. And finally, we have a man who, if you want to take a scenic route on a journey, let him be the map reader. He'll take you on a half-hour, 20-mile trip to get somewhere that was only a mile away. It's Pete Davis. Good evening, Pete. Good evening, Stuart. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, audience. Looking at the show notes uh, this month, I can once again promise you another cracking show. We've been privileged to have SWF UK mod and tri-logo expert Joe O'Brien on for this month's interview. Ben covers the latest acquisitions thread off the forum, including a cracking piece purchased by our very own Grant. In this month's Boom Story, Rich examines whether UK sellers are really driving up the prices, whilst Pete once again delves into the market and takes a look at a woman who has sold her ex-boyfriend's collection. Grant brings us his final instalment of his Star Wars computer game feature in this month's Oddballs, whilst it also brings us this month's events section, where we'll look at our Belgian road trip to the Facts event in Ghent. We'll also have this month's Forum Roundup, where the podcast team discuss their favourite threads, which includes Richard not picking his own thread. And uh, we do get also to catch up with David Moss again and hear his results of what's in the box. All this plus much more on this month's Star Wars Forum UK podcast. Now, it's been a good month as I got to spend a lovely weekend away with most of you. Cracking weekend where we made many, many memories. Sadly, having just had a newborn, Ben couldn't join us. But I'm pretty certain, knowing Ben, as I do, that he's been blowing his child's inheritance to make up for it. Ben, what have you been buying this month, mate? Um, I haven't had a particularly extravagant month yet, but uh, that sort of seems to be turning over the last few days. Uh, I picked up some bits for my secret Santa, so that's all done. Although, unfortunately, one of the pieces that I bought, I thought was something that it's not, um, because the list of stuff that he had for me to get, I don't know anything about, but there you go, you live and learn. So I've got that. I've also picked up a loose EV99 and a loose R2 pop-up Sabre from our good friend Itavaka Ian over in the States. 
So they'll be winging their way to me soon. I'm working on another deal, but I won't say anything until we're until it's done, just in case it doesn't go. So yeah, it's not been a massive month, but I picked up a few bits that I'm happy with. Picked up a a, a saber. Is that just a saber? Uh, it's it's just a saber. Yeah, I just need to find the R2 now to go with it. You happy with that, Rich? Not at all, because any decent mate would have stepped aside, especially when I PM'd him round out at the same time, and I was camping, so I was trying to like send smoke signals over to Ian. Um, in actuality, I didn't even realise he had this up for sale. It, it, obviously, a better mate than Ben sent me a text uh, to let me know that Ian had this for sale, um, knowing that I'd been after it for about a year. Um, so, you know... I tried everything I could to get a message over to America, only to find out that some little Torvag had beat me by seconds to it. Richie does that to all of his podcast buddies. <laughs> all right, we'll see. Just yeah, wait done, for he's, from. He's done me on an RTD2, mate, so don't worry. Well, uh, I am in the market for another one, and I am trying to find Richard one, so it's not all bad. And if I do get another one then, Richard, you'll be getting first refusal at this one, as you well know. Yeah. Um, Ian got about 15 text messages for this particular one, so I don't know if you were necessarily second or line, in line or not, and if it had been something else that I knew you were after that I knew wouldn't sell so quickly, I'd have uh, I'd have reserved it for you myself, but these things don't hang around for very long. Anyway, he's already working on it, and uh, he assures me that he's looking for another one for you. He was a little bit worried that it might have been too rich for you, though, Richard. What, too rich in colour is in the greens too strong? No, too rich is in... He knows you northerners don't like parting with your pennies, so I think he was a bit uh, a bit concerned that it might have been too expensive. No, that's fine. I would have given half the price if that's what he wanted. I'm more than happy to do that. Yeah, I don't think that's what he wanted, though. Now, Pete, I know you've finally delved into the mock market this month after uh, saying you wouldn't go down that route. So, what have you added to your collection? Uh, yeah, well, you saw it on the on the forum um, in the latest acquisitions. I don't often appear in there, but it was my my clipper, uh, rather faded and uh, only cyan remaining uh, Princess Leia uh, Return of Jedi card back. So, hurrah! I've started, but I've, I've just got another one. I've now got a Leia Bespin Tri Logo card. It's a little bit slapped around, but it's uh, it's it's there. I've started and I can't finish now, so. That's, I'm, I've gone down a dark path, but I also managed to get some last 17 figures. I, I actually did get an R2 with a genuine lightsaber. It hasn't turned up yet. It's from Bram. So uh, I'm just waiting on that to turn up. And uh, I should be lording it up like a big, rich lord of um, R2 lightsabering. And I also got a Barada and an Imperial Gunner this month as well. So I've been spending cash. Oh, and also, I forget... I hate to rub it in, boys, but uh, I'm also I've booked myself to go to Anaheim for Star Wars Celebration. So, yeah. um, exactly, good times. Via about three other countries, I believe, Pete. Yes, I'm going via every country on the planet, and it would take me about two weeks to get there, but it'd be worth it. So, no, it starts. I start start in Aberdeen, and <laughs> how are you going to get to Aberdeen? That's <laughs> really just like the northernest most. Town. <laughs> the good thing is, it gives me an excuse to go visit my brother in Scotland. So he's about he's about eighty miles out of Aberdeen. So that's not too bad. So I'll stay with him for a few days. Take my mom up there, leave her there, play with the grandson as you can. I go off to Star Wars, come back, and it's an easy route home. So it's not as bad as it sounds, but it was cheap as chips. So I'm going. I don't care. So Grant, what have you been adding this month? 
Oh, wow, I've actually bought stuff. Can you believe that? Must be working again. Um, I got a few pieces. Probably the highlight for me was picking up a, a PBP uh, TIE Fighter card back, which was in a really nice condition because uh, the PBP TIE Fighter pilot isn't the easiest one to come across carded. So I got a little, uh, little card back there and I put a little graded figure in, uh, in an acrylic case with him and that will do as a placeholder for probably at least the next 10 years. So I'm happy with that one. Anything else? Uh, only a few bits and bobs. I think uh, Ben's going to discuss one of them in the LA section, so I'll have a chat about it then. And uh, finally, Rich, you've been spending wildly since the podcast started, and uh, I did wonder how a teacher was managing to have so much spare cash until we found out that you run a protection racket for the pubs in the surrounding area. <laughs> so now we know that you've got this illicit extra funds, what have you been spending on this month? Yeah, I have slowed down a little bit um, from the two months ago when I was spending uh, ridiculous amounts of money. So I haven't got a lot this month once again. Um, I got the Kenner Landspeed gear. I was really pleased with that. A lovely clear canopy. Um, the landing gear was working fine and the gear stick was uh, in very good condition, so I'm pleased with that. I bought a Dagobah playset um, boxed, which is fully complete. I had a one up until about three months ago, which was incomplete, and I just could never get the other parts for it, so I just got fed up and sold it. And bizarrely, I had all the parts that are really difficult to get a hold of, at least I was told were difficult to get a hold of. And it was the easy parts that I couldn't get, but I just never sold them for sale. I've got a few modern mint on cards that have come through. I've got a few Marvel comics, probably about 40 out of them have arrived. The Vintage Annual, the first Star Wars Vintage Annual. Um, I bought a Power of the Force Security Scout. I've been after one of them for quite a while. Um, I've got quite a few items from me Super Santas now, because I'm in more than one, so that's all done. Uh, one of them's been sent off. Um, the second one um, will be getting sent off probably something in the next few weeks. I bought quite a few new novels. I've got a few vintage ones, um, and I've got the first Rebels novel, uh, Young Adult. I think it's called um, Shadows of the Empire or Guardians of the Empire, something like that. That's in Asda for a very, very good price of about three pound twenty. So I picked that up as I, as I was browsing the aisles. And I've received mm, possibly about 10 different items from uh, Michael Sith. Most of them are going to be given away as prizes for um, competitions and things like that. And I'll take it out to Father's from Patrick and do some quizzes down there uh, just for a bit of fun. So cheers, Michael. I've got quite a few things from you. And um, I think that's about it. I, I, I've had one or two weapons, vintage weapons that I've purchased over the last couple of weeks. They've arrived. So the only thing I'm missing now is that green pop-up saber, which I thought I was going to get, but didn't. What about you, Steve? I've only made a couple of purchases this month. The most important thing was, of course, the signed photo of Princess Leia. Fax finally got to meet Carrie Fisher. And Pete, I can't believe you didn't mention it as we queued oh. up for hours. Oh, uh, just queuing kill me. That's what it is. That's, that's what uh, an injunction does, Stu, a legal injunction. He's not allowed to talk, talk about her. He's not allowed within 100 yards of her. He's not allowed in the same building as her now. I think we should mention uh, Richard's uh, trying to get us out of the queue shenanigans. That was, that was shocking. We were right, right to the front of the queue. We are just about to, to get in. Richard comes up. No, no, it's gone. You bad luck, guys. You've got to go home now. So we're, we left the queue, and then suddenly they start letting people in. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers, Rich. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> um, also in Belgium, I managed to pick up a loose minty, a man a man, and uh, I've, I've interviewed numerous people about Grant persuading them to buy things, and we had literally been in the convention for five minutes, and he had talked me into buying a clipper mock of Squidhead. 
and it, it literally was no more than five minutes that we had been in Belgium. So uh, you look you look so that. happy though, Stu. <laughs> yeah. Apart from that, you, you, well, you were also stalked around the convention by the guy trying to get you a man of man. I mean, he, yeah, I he, he even went to the toilet with you. He did. He whispered in my ear as I was at the urinal. Yeah, <laughs> that was quite that was quite weird. <laughs> yeah, all yeah, a good experience. But it worked though. You you are the weakest uh, link because uh, pretty much if you were suggesting to, to buy, you will buy it, won't you? That's right. That's it. Also purchased a few more loose figures. Escape from the Death Star board game. Now, I bought that off eBay, but I bought it more because it had four vintage posters with it of toys. But they haven't arrived yet, so I don't know what's in them. And tomorrow I will be sending the money to Dan Burgess for a Palatoid Death Star and a Cantina. Or a Cantina, Ooh. as Ben likes to call it. So, yeah, a bit, bit of spending this month, but quite on down before Father's from. So, that's all our uh, acquisitions for this month. Ben, I believe you have a question for us all. Which you've planned many weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've been thinking about it for a long time. As you fellas know, I am a figure collector primarily. Interestingly enough, the most popular figure is Luke Skywalker. He has no fewer than seven incarnations. So, simply, my question for you this podcast is, of the seven Luke Skywalkers, which one is your favourite? Um, I'll run through them quickly, just in case you're not okay with all of them. You've got Luke Farmboy, Luke X-Wing, Luke Hoff, Luke Jedi, Luke Stormy, Luke in the Battle Poncho, and Luke Bespin. So, uh, let's start with Pete this week. Oh, hello, Ben. What a great question. Um, I've got to say it's Luke Bespin. Uh, I've, I don't know what it is. It's just that kind of workman-like uniform he's wearing. Um, but... I don't know. It's I guess it's because it's from the favourite scenes of of the whole Star Wars universe for me, which is that going from Dagobah to Bespin is uh, just great moments. And uh, I don't know. There's just something about that suit. I, I remember when the Star Wars fan club was going, or when I was in it, the original one, you could actually get a Bespin jacket. And I really always wanted one, but it was never going to happen because it was in the United States, and that was a, a mystery fantasy land. So. I always obsessed about that, having that Bespin jacket, so it's got to be Luke Bespin for me. Okay, leading on from that then, Stu, um, which one? Uh, which well, one's your uh, favourite? You po- Poncho's my least favourite. I'm a bit split on this, I love Bespin, and I love Farmboy, but I'm going to have to go for the X-Wing pilot, just something about that figure that I do love. I don't know, just looking at him now, I want to cuddle him. <laughs> Is it because his weird eyes that you love staring into? His dead eyes... I don't know. I think it's that little bit of hair that's coming out, but it's not actually hair, is it? Have you noticed? He's got the same eyes as Jaws. Lifeless, <laughs> two, like two tiny little black dots that will stare through you, like someone who was uh, sat in a sniper position in Vietnam for the whole war or something like that. <laughs> that's kind of random, but scary at the same time. The, the, the dead eyes. Dead the eyes. thousand yard stare, or whatever they call it. I think, I think it's because he's using the force. I think I love him the most because I had the X-Wing as a child. It was one of my favourite toys. So he was always sat in it and probably got most play value for me as a child. So, yeah, yeah, X-Wing. Although I do like Farm Boy and Bespin. And I quite like the Hoff Luke. Jedi Knight's quite cool as well, isn't it? Basically, you like them all except for, you're probably going to say Luke Poncho and Luke Stormtrooper. I don't mind the Storm. I like the concept of the Stormtrooper outfit, but... Yeah, no, I quite like him as well. But yeah, the poncho one, I'm not fussed about. It's got a shrunken heed. It looks odd. It's like Richard's got a strange head. Grant, let's hear your opinion on this. 
Well, I, I have to agree with Stuart very strongly on this. So, you know, you've got to really consider the Luke Farm boy. So I'm definitely going to say I'm interested in the Luke Hoff figure because it's got a lovely scarf. There's always a Luke X-Wing figure, which I really, really like as well. But then the Jedi one's got the cloak, so I'm definitely going to go with Luke Bespin. <laughs> Logical and uh, fair enough. But I know how much you love Star Wars. Star Wars. Rich? I don't think any of the looks really capture it for me. They're all missing something. What? Yep. Oh, have him shot. Rich, need to like Star Wars more. Rich, Star Wars is ace. What are you yeah, doing? Yeah, smart now, Rich. Star Wars is the best. If you'll ever finish, I'll, uh, I was going to say the perfect look for me would be Luke Farm Boy, but with the X-wing blaster as well included with the figure. So you had the you had his telescoping lightsaber and and he had his blaster. That would have been the perfect figure. He's not left-handed. Yeah, what are you doing, Rich? You started. Messing it up again. Putting X-Wings in there. Gonna have an X-Wing on the card as well with him. Which if, figure do you like? If he's, not left hand, if he's not left-handed, then why is the uh, best Ben Luke holding his lightsaber and his left hand? Because he's cool. Rich, you need a better answer than that. That's rubbish. Boo. Which one do you like best? I would say the farm boy, but if, if he had that X-Wing blast out, it would have been better. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, Luke X-Wing... I uh, really like the figure, I really like the card back, and also it's the only figure that rings, of those Lukes, that rings true for all three films. He uses his X-Wing in all three films and is in that particular attire in all of them. So, I like that. But uh, it's also one of my uh, one of my favourite figures. If I was going to ever do a focus, I think that would probably be the one that I did a focus on. But I'm not, so it doesn't matter. You should do a focus, Ben. I do technically have a focus, actually. I have a, a Lando General Pilot focus. Oh, I thought it was um, stealing everyone else's buys, but there we go. No, no, my uh, my Lando General Pilot focus consists of two Lando General Pilots, a Power of the Force and a Tri-Logo, but I'm happy to say I have them both. Ooh. Get her with a mox. Well, it's a nice easy one, isn't it? Because it doesn't come on any foreign, funny foreign card blacks, so... <gasps> funny foreign, how dare you! Do you now have a shelf? You. Do you now have a shelf, Ben, with a green pop-up lightsaber alongside of Arnold Kept Shower? Uh, not yet. It hasn't arrived. Green. I might actually um, put it in my in the hand of my vinyl Cape Jawa. <laughs> I'm going to interject there before we get too involved in Ben shafting his friends for the uh, sake of his own collection. And uh, let's hand over to Ben then for this month's latest acquisitions thread. GW Acrylic. Carded, loose, foreign and mail away. For the security, protection and display needs of your Star Wars collectibles. Facebook, GW Acrylic or contact them at info at gwacrylic.co.uk In this month's latest acquisitions thread, there's been a few things that have appeared that are tying quite nicely with some of the previous things we've been talking about on the podcast. 
And the first item that caught my eye, or the first couple of items that caught my eye, have tied in nicely with Grant's section on vintage Star Wars computer games. And that is Rob P. Marsh has managed to pick up a copy of Super Star Wars for the Super Famicom, and also a copy of the Star Wars game for the Famicom. Now this one is the crazy version that Grant's spoken about, with the black-haired Luke Skywalker and several levels that don't exist and some really weird things. Uh, only available in Japan. Pretty cool item. So nice to see after we had the discussion about it previously. A few other things that Rob P. Marsh has been collecting that seem to have caught the imagination of the forum are the placemats. Well, I did a bit of research, assisted by Grant Griddle, as these are firmly in his Oddballs uh, domain and they were made in the UK by a company called Icarus. So there's a total of seven of these placemats that uh, were made. And they were all made in about 1983, I think. So, uh, Return of the Jedi era. There was uh, Bounty Hunters 1, one with Chewie, Lando and Han, one with Darth Vader and some Stormtroopers, one with Luke on a Tauntaun, and one with R2-D2 and C-3PO, uh, Yoda 1, and the seventh one, which Rob has yet to, yet to get, which is an Ewoks one. So it's slightly interesting about these. They were either available with the Star Wars logo on them, or the Return of the Jedi logo, with the exception of the Ewoks one, which had the Return of the Jedi logo only. Quite an interesting thing that they've got no Empire Strikes Back versions of these placemats. And I was sort of thinking, why? And the only sort of conclusion that I came to... And this is pure speculation on my part, but I see what you guys think. Obviously, Return of the Jedi would have been the film that they were promoting at the time, so it makes sense to put the Return of the Jedi logo. Obviously, with the Star Wars, the original Star Wars film, as we all know, it was actually called A New Hope, and the Star Wars, Star Wars would have been the name of the series of films as opposed to the individual film. So... You've got the Star Wars logo and the Star Wars branding. Sort of encapsulates everything, really. So they were using that as the brand logo, and then obviously Return of the Jedi as the as the promo for the new film. Uh, and that's why I think that uh, the Empire Strikes Back logo probably got missed out completely from these. I don't know what you guys think. Ben, on that, I think that, you know, we discussed this before in earlier episodes, where they seem to use Star Wars as an umbrella term for you know, between movies. So after Empire Strikes Back, it reverts back to Star Wars. Then you have Return of the Jedi, and it reverts back to Star Wars again. I think these placemats, considering that they're all pictures from Empire Strikes Back, were probably made around about 1982. And then, you know, the final one came out in 1983, probably then for Return of the Jedi. But if you look at them, they're all, you know, there's Lando there, there's the Bounty Hunters... There's the Hoff scenes, there's Yoda. So I think these are all actually Empire Strikes Back, but they were so far into the, you know, the between, between movies, Star Wars umbrella area of making uh, merchandise. I think that's why they've got the Star Wars logo. That would fit in nicely with why the Ewoks place Matt's only got the Return of the Jedi logo on, with that theory. Yeah, it makes sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the Empire Strikes Back called everybody unawares and... There wasn't much merchandise out for the Empire Strikes Back, so it's not surprising, really, that um, they were behind the ball on this. So, obviously, they had the photos and stills, etc., from the movies. Um, but they weren't going to spend time on 
uh, logos, etc., for Empire Strikes Back on these when the the new movie, The Return of the Jedi, was so soon to be released. It would have just been a waste of time, so it makes sense that they've skipped it. Yeah, a lot of the memorabilia that would have come out that period would have just been under the Star Wars logo anyway. Just as the, yes, what we were saying earlier, the generic umbrella for the entire license, basically, or the entire film franchise. The stationery did it, the bubble bath did it, you know, a couple of the things that we've actually covered have all reverted back to the Star Wars logo. branding. Yeah. Um, One of the cool things, actually, about one particular placemat that he's got, which... Judging by the response, not a lot of people have seen. There seems to be a few of these placemats about, but his Luke Taunton, if you have a look at it, is actually still in its packaging. So that's um, unused and mint in its packaging. And that seems to be quite an unusual thing with these these placemats. Um, and it looks quite cool as well. I think also uh, one thing that um, if, if Rob Marsh is going to go down the uh, placemats collecting he's got quite a quite a journey in front of him because the yeah uh the uk for star wars had a i think it's drawing board had a set of placemats that came out uh, i think there's four for sigma that we covered in episode was it episode three uh might yeah three or four three or four wouldn't it we covered that there there's, there's four placemats by sigma and there's also an australian set of placemats as well by a company called roy lee sin so uh plenty of <laughs> star wars placemats to get out there if that's going to be your focus can I ask? Uh, can I ask you guys? Would you, any of you be interested in uh, buying any placemats? No, not at the moment. I've got uh, I've got my focus on my figure collection, and I find the problem is if you get distracted by too many side focuses, then you end up all over the place. As Stu will probably attest. I would buy them though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's buy them, Stu. Let's get some placemats in 2015. Moving on from this, uh, Mr. Criddle, the. Sir display for the earrings is not the only thing that you've picked up recently i believe that's correct the next thing that i wanted to cover and i've got a soft spot for these things is your trilogo miscard that you snuck off of ebay for a very nice price i think it's an imperial commander card back with an attack commander figure on the on the card it's one of those miscards that makes really obvious sense when you look at what would possibly possess somebody to mix up a couple of figures and a couple of card backs like that. And uh, I believe you got it for a very good very good price, Grant. Yes, mate. Um, £55. Mind you, the bubble looks like it's been sat on. It's uh, got a little tiny crack in the bubble as well. Uh, it didn't actually occur to me until someone pointed it out that it's the right figure on the right card. Because... You know, the Imperial Commander, uh, General Veers, is the Attack Commander. So it makes perfect sense. Sort of, uh, I was really happy to get it. I struggled to actually pay for it. Uh, but it was only £55, which I thought was a bargain. And it's the first of the uh, miscards. And I'm, I'm, I've really got a flavour for miscards, especially after seeing Gary Smith's collection. So yeah, might, hopefully the first of many. It's a nice miscard, actually. It's not a particularly common one. Um, some seem to be more common than others. This is not a particularly common one. Um, just going back to what you're saying about the crack bubble, a lot of these miscarded figures tend to have very fragile bubbles on them anyway, so you have to be, be pretty uh, pretty careful with them. But no, a lovely item. Uh, Pete, did you have a question about this? Um, it's a general question, really. Um, is there a definitive list of miscards? Yes and no. Um, there are several that are known to exist, but new combinations do keep cropping up. So it's not by any means comprehensive. 
that's serious. They still keep arriving. They're still being found in in sheds over over the the planet, are they? Well, recently there was a, a Hoff Rebel soldier appeared on a Trilogo Luke Hoff card, which I think was was quite new. I'm not, I, I'd never seen it before. And also, the Trilogo Luke Hoff is a is a difficult enough card to come across in itself. So to have a miscard of that is quite something. Uh, the uh, Atta Imperial Commander one, I contacted Gary just before I bought it to find out how rare it is, and he said he'd only known of uh, the one that he had. But after I posted it, Frank came on and said he had one as well, but in even worse condition than mine. So it's hard to say with these. You know, there doesn't seem to be like a guide to tell you how many of these are out there. I know some of them, like the obvious is the Klaatu on the Klaatu skiff. There seems to be plenty of them. There's two on eBay now as we speak. Uh, but I have no idea of the rarity. of They seem to pop up every now and then. I've seen the Biker Scout and the R5-D4 card come up uh, quite a bit. The Death Squad Commander on the ATSD. A pilot card seems to come up a bit, and that's the only way that you're going to get a Death Squad Commander on a Trilogo card. So, I guess people are after that one. Rich, didn't didn't you get yourself a miscarding Belgium? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. This is this is the only <laughs> figure I ever have purchased that I feel as though I've been ripped off on, and I only spent <laughs> one euro, I think there was, for about eighty p, and I've been ripped off. Um, you know, for those who weren't in Belgium, it was a—I uh, I don't even know what it was. Actually, what was it? It was it a boot, bootleg Han Hoff on a Luke Skywalker Power of the Force two card, and the woman it was a beauty. Off, the woman walked off and went, "I've had that on my store for twenty years for a dollar, and I can't believe I finally sold it." Yeah, I'm going to take me a long time to get over that because I know it was only eighty pence or a quid, but I, I do feel as though that I've been ripped. I think, it should be a, I think it should be a raffle prize one, one month, Rich. I think it should be in an acrylic case. Yeah, yeah. definitely criticise it. Well, Next I've one's competition. Plans. I've already got plans for it. Rich, I think you should try and get it graded. Another thing that caught my eye in the thread is Bram has picked up two of the shop displays, uh, the vintage Bell displays. Now, these are quite cool items. They are two different Bell displays, although they are the same one. He has actually got two of them. So where he got them from, I don't know. But there were two made, not Bram's two, but two different types. Uh, there was a Collectal 21 and there was a Collectal 12. So obviously the 12 came first, followed by the uh, 21 to go with the rest of the figure line on the Star Wars card back. Now the 21 backs are slightly less rare than the 12 or the collectible 21s i should say are slightly less rare than the collectible 12 they're called bell displays or shop hangers and these would sit typically on top of a pole within the shop so you imagine you get the um the old displays where you've got like a i suppose what looks like a lollipop with arms four arms coming out of it north south east and west and then all the figures hanging off of the uh, arms then these would be the things that sat on the top of the poles so that everybody that came into the shop could see where the latest collection of star wars figures were so the two brands got are in really nice condition uh, and they make pretty nice display pieces do they actually do they hang from ceilings as well? I've never actually understood this. Is this something because you know you see the those mobiles when you have like a video release 
and they're, you know they're hanging down from the stall there with all the information, or you've got like you know spaceships or whatever, and they're just dangling there. Do these bell displays display like that as well? I, I to be honest with you, I don't know. I when I did um, my research on these for this month's podcast, there are actually on the Star Wars Collector's Archive pictures of the uh, sort of Kenner display catalogue that went out to retailers so it's got pictures of all the bins and um, the things that would go at the point of sale and things like that and the pictures of these bells were only featured well the pictures that they feature are the pictures of them on the store display so they don't show them hanging I guess it would have been down to whatever the shop wanted to do with them but I think that they were meant to go on top of these uh, on top of these display racks a little interesting fact about these, when you look at the 12 and the 21, the Collectal 12 has got a picture of a vinyl cape jar on it, so that will sort of indicate to you how, how early it would have been produced in the uh, in the range, and the 21s, the Collectal 21s, have got a picture of a cloth cape jar, obviously in line with the, uh, with the changeover for the figure. Also following on from last podcast's latest acquisitions, we talked a little bit about Spoon's... Uh, and his Friar Tuck Gamorrean Guard figures. Um, he's obviously working on this Robin Hood Prince of Thieves theme, and he's picked himself up the Robin Hood Battle Wagon, I suppose it's called. I'm not actually sure what it's called, but it's um, it's basically the Robin Hood equivalent of the uh, of the Ewok Battle Wagon, uh, completely recycled from the uh, original Ewok piece although it does have certain parts that are moulded in different coloured plastics from the Star Wars piece, and the Ewok battle wagon has the skull on the top. This one actually has a catapult on top instead of the skull, and it's the it's the Ewok catapult from the original Star Wars range as well, so it's actually a hybrid of two recycled vehicles to go in the Robin Hood line. So it's worth having a look at. If you check out the thread, the COO is different on the on the Robin Hood one, where they obviously change the mould. Have any of you guys got any what battle wagon? No, I don't no. have one. No, no. I it's it's quite a funny it's quite a funny vehicle actually. Um, it came along in 1985 as part of the Power of the Force range. That and the, uh, the Jabba's skiff or the Tatooine skiff. Um, and both pieces are quite rare because they were obviously released right at the end of the range and popularity was dwindling. But the the Tatooine skiff seems to attract a massive premium now when you see them. Um, but the, nobody seems to really care about the Ewok battle wagon, despite the fact that they're similar sort of scarcity. That's um, one of those funny things. And it also appeared on the back of the of the Ewoks card backs. And I think the intention was that it would become part of the Ewoks range, uh, but it was never released. They never, uh, well, whether or not they took the decision that it wasn't popular enough the first time round, but it, it never actually made it out um, when it was supposed to be re-released as an Ewoks, an Ewoks vehicle. Uh, do any of you guys have any interest in picking up the Ewok battle wagon, or is it at the bottom of your list? I'll pick one up, but... I've got so many things that are above it at the moment that I'll get one when I see one at a decent price. Um, I'm not intending on picking any vehicles up, so uh, no. But to be honest with you, the the Tatooine skiff doesn't really appeal to me at the price that it generally goes for either. I'd, I'd like it at some point, but it's not um, high up the agenda. 
I've um, I, I've become more of a friend of the Ewoks recently, so I don't know. It, it could become on my list one day, but not at the moment. How have you become a friend of an Ewok? Well, he's friends well, with you. Yes, you. Well, I was going to say you have become my little Ewok friend. But I don't know. I think I think becoming falling back in love with Return of the Jedi has uh, has enlivened my Ewok love. So maybe uh, maybe that will be a little focus one day. Not for a while. You wait until it's in episode seven, man. It's going to be a main vehicle in episode seven. Everyone will want it. That would rock. The final items that I'd like to talk about in this month section were posted up by a new member to the forum, uh, Walton Wookie, a guy called James, and he's picked up a couple of uh, engineering pilots. He's got a, a Chewbacca and an original Princess Leia, and these um, seem to cause a little bit of confusion when they were posted in the latest acquisitions thread as to exactly what they are and where they fit in the uh, pre-production process. Now, I've seen an engineering pilot before, and it was one that David Tree had down at uh, for the last farthest from. So I spoke to him a little bit about them. So we've covered the pre-production process a little bit before, all the way down to the um, first shots, which are the first figures that come out of the mould. Once they're approved and they get finalised, the mould gets finished, and then a number of engineering pilots get made. So they're effectively the same as the actual production figures, but they get made, they get numbered, uh, and the number will correlate to a batch or to an individual mould or something like that, and then they basically get sent away for quality control. So they sit somewhere in between pre-production and production. They are actually production figures, but they're not. It's almost like a production quality control sample. With these sort of figures, the, the generally the only difference that you'll find between them and the actual production figure is they'll have a number on their foot normally which will relate to a batch number or a run number and sometimes they'll have very early or prototype accessories because that's all that's available but not always. It's really, really important if you're going to buy one of these that it's got providence because they're so easily forged they really need to be known as a genuine engineering pilot they need to have normally they have a tie back to a Kenner employee and that's where most of the engineering pilots come from and it's a term that's also used for something else that's completely different so you've got that in terms of an engineering pilot figure but you'll also hear about engineering pilot uh, mint on card and what that basically means is where they're, where they're testing out packaging normally. So you might have a figure on a bubble on a completely blank card back because they're seeing where it will sit or how the card back fits or how the, how the press will press the figure onto the card back. So there's a subtle difference between the two types. But these ones he's picked up. I think he picked up two Chewies and swapped one for a Leer. And he's looking for other early engineering pilots of the first 12 figures as well. So they're, they're quite an interesting item. Like I said, you, you need to make sure they've got the providence with them so that you can definitely tie them back to uh, where they've come from. But uh, an interesting thing nonetheless. So are these definitely engineering pilots then? Definitely. Th- these guys, he has um, he's confirmed that they're engineering pilots. Uh, obviously, I don't know where he got them from. But um, yeah, as, as far as uh, as far as I know, these are definitely engineering pilots. We well, yeah, we met James uh, 
in Fordingbridge, didn't we, a couple of months ago? We did indeed, yeah. There's a story that goes with it, but uh, maybe for another time, eh, Grant? Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to upset you this uh, this this early in on the podcast. It's all right. James contacted me after and said, "I think I've got your vinyl cake jar, mate." And what did you say? Yeah, you have. Right, now onto the competition. Rich, have you got last month's winner? Yeah, I have, Stu. I'm just loading them up now into the, the name picker, and it's um, I'm really pleased that we've got more entrants for this competition than we've had for the last few, so we've got quite a few names here, so I'm just putting them in now. I'm going to give it a quick spin. And it's, it's pleasing also that we've got entrants from a number of different places. Um, it was Facebook and Twitter. And the lucky winner is, and it's just slowing down now, Lee Pizzy. Lee Pizzy, congratulations. Um, we'll get your prize out to you as soon as you get in contact with us and send us an address. Well done, and I hope you enjoy it. Do we have anything for this month, guys? Yeah, Rich, we've got a competition this month running on the tri-logo theme of this podcast. So, as you guys may have heard us discussing earlier about the tri-logos, there are 90 of the 96 figures that were released on tri-logo card backs. What we're looking for this month is for people to... Let us tell us the six figures that were not released on Trilogo card backs. So basically, compile your list of six, and if you could send this into the email address swfukpodcast@gmail.com, and we'll have a fantastic prize for you next month. If you are getting a bit stuck with your research, we can recommend you have a look at trilogo.info where you'll find plenty of information about the Tri-Logos, including the details of the missing six. So good luck to one and all. And, uh, yeah, we'll have a, a fantastic competition prize for you next week. Uh, we'll have a fantastic competition prize for you next podcast. Right, I'm absolutely delighted to be sitting here with Mr. Trilogo himself, Joe O'Brien. Good evening, Joe. Hi, Stuart. How are you doing? Not too bad. Joe is a moderator on Star Wars Forum UK, an ADA focus collector, as well as being the founder of exceptional website Trilogo.info, which, as the name of the website states, is centred around Trilogos. We'll be getting on to Trilogos a little later in the interview, but when you agreed to come on the podcast, the first two words I wrote on my notes were 8D8 and the word why. <laughs> it's a very random and unloved figure generally, isn't it? So why 88? It is, Stuart, yeah. Um, basically, I had a, um, I was, I've given a lot of hand-me-downs when I was a kid. Um, I, a lot of the figures, I, I hadn't seen the films when I got the figures from my cousins. Um, and I made up a load of names names for them. And 88, the name I, I made up for it was White Skinny Droid. So that kind of stuck with me. You know, I used to play with him a lot. And he doubled as all kinds of characters in my little games that I used to play. Um, and when I got on, when I decided to collect again as an adult, um, I decided that I would use the same name that I'd given 8D8 as my as my username, 
a couple of years later when I was deciding what I wanted to collect, that kind of all came back and I thought, well, why did I even bother using, you know, 8DS uh, name that I'd given him as a child if, if it didn't mean anything to me? And I thought, well, what better figure to, to go on and collect and, and to research and see what was out there for? How long has it been with 88, your collection? Uh, I would say I've been collecting 88 items for maybe... Maybe seven years now total. It's been a while. I think I I decided to focus on him about two thousand uh, two thousand eight maybe. Yeah, it's it's been a little while. I'm not too sure of when it was. I know there's a thread on um, Rebel Scum where I asked her opinions on you know was it a good character to to focus on and um, would it be worth focusing on him? Um, but that was that was around that time. Maybe two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I've looked at you and obviously a limelight and it's quite astounding some of the bits you've got. So. Could you tell us if you still have it all? First of all, do you still have you kept all the bits from back then? Yeah, from that last limelight, I've got pretty much everything. There were two, there were two proof cards that I did sell only because I knew that there would be a pretty good chance I could pick them up again. Um, but yeah, I've, everything else like this that I've kept is pretty much unique. I, if I sold it now, there's there's no way I'd get it back unless whoever I sold it to, you know, felt pity towards me and they sold it back to me but yeah I've kept pretty much everything are there, are there many variations of the figure? Uh, production wise not very many I mean there's there's quite a few uh, carded variations you can get um, I when I was doing my trilogo site a lot of that came about because I was um, researching and finding out about the different trilogo variants for 8B8 and I I think I got about maybe six or seven. It's probably eight. There's quite a few. Um, so yeah, there's there's quite a lot out there for an uninteresting character, as most people think. Do you know Do you know any other eight D eight focus collectors? There are none. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've like, never seen one pop up. Um, no. Yeah, there, there was a guy. There was actually a guy on uh, Star Wars Forum UK that he bought. He bought all the production ones. He bought a tri logo, um, Kenner seventy seven back, seventy nine back. And he was like, he was like a mini focus, and I was thinking, wow, am I going to get some competition now or not? You know, it's strange. Um, but no, not that. No, there's a couple of people that have got some nice prototypes, but um, I wouldn't say that they consider themselves ABA focus collectors. More, you know, they're just they're just prototype collectors in general. As a figure, is there many things like baggies, or was he in many multi packs or anything? I don't know too much about the, uh, you know, I've got the odd figure of him, but was he? Did he come in many play sets or anything? Um, yeah, he he came in the uh, Jabba's Dungeon playset. Um, he came in two multi packs. Kenna uh, uh, put out through uh, the catalog um, uh, mailers, a seven pack and a three pack. Um, there's a couple of variations on the baggie. There's Kenna baggies and European baggies. Yeah, there's quite a lot out there. I mean, you can do you could say the same for most characters. Even though he was like a, re- a late release character, you'd think there wasn't much out there, but there actually is. There's you know there's there's scope to build on a collection, regardless of the figure that you choose. So if someone came to you and said, oh, I want to become an 88 focus, what would you say are going to be the holy grail items? What are going to be the big items for him to collect? Um, a way prototype, you know. Obviously. Yeah, yeah production-wise, nothing's really too hard to pick up. I would say um, maybe the hardest stuff would be some of the Trilogo variants. Um, they really are hard to find. Other than that, you know, just... Start from the ground up, really. Just get your loose stuff, you know, find a baggie, find a mailer, get your carded run worked up, and, you know, it's it's pretty easy stuff. I mean, I don't think there's too much out there that's really rare. I mean, I had a I had a, a Mexican figure. Uh, I won't pronounce it because I'll probably get it wrong, but, yeah, the licensee, was it Lily Leddy or 
yeah, yeah. That, that's probably it. Um, yeah, that's probably the rarest production figure that I can think of offhand. Um, but even then, there's there's a few floating about there. I probably had the chance to get maybe three of those in the time I was collecting. How many items do you think are in your 88 Focus? Um, now, it's pretty much just just prototypes. I mean, I've got... It's pretty... Yeah, it's pretty small now. I've kind of scaled down. I, I sold all the production stuff a long time ago, um, and that was to fund a few proof cards. I figured if I ever wanted... You know, if I ever got the bug back again, I could pick it up and, and just go out there and collect it again pretty easily. I would say maybe 10, yeah, 10, ten items maximum. Uh, but that's, you know, one of them is an unproduced uh, Power of the Force proof cards. One's the Kremlin, which is the original proof for the the Return of the Jedi card back, which is, you know, it's unique. So it's more a, a quality over quantity kind of thing now. Yeah. So from all the 88 pieces you've owned, okay, if I have to push you if you're, what your favourite piece was and what your, I don't want the value, but what your highest piece is that you would have paid for something. Which item? Probably, it's probably not best that I say values, but I mean, the, the threshold for me was probably sort of maybe a couple of hundred dollars, pounds, whatever, and and then that gradually goes higher as you sort of, you know, you up those kind of price estimations on things. You're looking for rarer stuff as time goes on, and you start paying five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, and then it kind of you don't even think about the money after a while. Which you probably should, you know, it's probably not a good lesson. But yeah, I've, I've, there's a couple of favourites that I've got. Um, I would say the the Power of the Force Proof card is, is my favourite at the moment. I've also got the Kremlin for the uh, the original version of the Jabba, Jabba's Dungeon. Um, I've got that framed up. Um, and that's a pretty nice display piece. Yeah, it's a, it's a really large piece, actually. It's, um, it's, it's quite incredible when you've got it in front of you, how, how big that is. Yeah, those those two are probably my favourites. I, I like everything I've still got though, so you know they're does, all favourites for me. Does the um does the wife like eighty eight? She's grown to love him. <laughs> got no option, yeah. I've got much choice. I mean, yeah, she was she's not super keen on Star Wars. She liked the, she liked the films, you know. She'd probably be happier if I was putting the money into other things, but you know. <laughs> That's, that's the thing we have to put up with as collectors, isn't it? That is. Right, so um, I'm going to move it on a bit. So I'm going to go back to your younger days. And uh, I noticed on the forum when I was doing research, so you're only 30 years old. Yeah, that's right. I was born in, in 84, um, so I pretty much missed everything. I got my, I would say I got my first figures um, as hand-me-downs, but I do, I do have a strange memory of, of being bought some figures, which would have been like late 80s, I would imagine. I think it was my sister or family member bought me uh, a couple of Jedi figures, and I can't remember if they were if they were on tri logos or Palatoy or whatever. You know, they just came one day and we opened them up. And I do have a memory of it, but you know, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'd have to check that with them. And yeah, I I had a um, I was when I was a kid and I was going to boot sales, and I was very aware that these were collector's items even then. And my cousins gave me a few different things and they said, you know, you should put these away and keep these safe because they're going to be worth money someday. And I kind of went around the fairs as a, you know, I was under under 10 at the time and I was going around the boot fairs and um, all the different shows we were going to as a family and I was picking up figures left, right and centre, but I was never really playing with them. I mean, I was at certain times, but the um, majority of the time I was putting them away thinking, I've got to hold on to these, you know, I've got to make sure I build up a collection and maybe one day... I don't know, I didn't even know what I was collecting them for, really, but, uh, yeah, I was, from a young age, I was always very aware that these weren't 
they were toys, but they were also valuable. They had a value, and I should keep, you know, keep collecting them and try and take as as, as best care I could of them. And yeah, it was it was a strange feeling. I, as I said, I missed out all the on all the films. Um, I saw the I, I saw the special edition um, re-releases at the cinema, um, and I got you know obviously got the VHS uh, videos, and and from there. I sort of turned to the forums when I was more of an adult collector. But yeah, it's very strange because uh, I'm not the typical, you know, late thirties, early forties kind of collector. And a lot of people kind of always forget that I'm that little bit younger than most. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a strange story. Was there ever a time when you you stopped like the collecting? Was there a period? Yeah, there's there's been a couple of um, periods where I've slowed down. Um, I wouldn't say I've ever stopped collecting, but you know, in the periods when I when I wasn't buying, I was maybe doing other things in the hobby. You know, researching, just generally hanging about in the forums and picking up information where yeah. I could. So yeah, I've always been involved, but maybe not always buying. So always been part of your life, is not? Oh yeah, very much, very much so. I mean, I've I've been registered on uh, Rebel Scum since 2004, so that's you know that's 10 years of online um, history. Well, talking about the forums, you've been on um, SWF UK since 2008. How did you come across that form? If you're on Rebel Scum, was it just a natural progression? Um, right. Well, Star Wars form, I knew of it. I, I when I initially got on the internet and I started, I initially went to eBay. It was the first thing. You know, my friends said, "Oh, you can get old stuff on eBay," and I started buying figures there. Um, and I found a forum called uh, it was a Canadian forum called Snowtroopers.ca, and I started there. And then I got told that Rebel Scum was the place to be. And then after a while, I thought, well what's the UK equivalent, you know, and then I found Star Wars Forum, and back then in 2008, it wasn't, it wasn't a very big affair, there was maybe a couple of hundred people, and not very many of them were sort of regular posters, it was, um, it was, you know, 30, 40 people roughly, so yeah, I, I went along there, and I, I didn't have any expectations, but I thought, well, if I'm on Rebel Sky, I might as well get on Star Wars Forum UK, and it's kind of snowballed from there, and, it, and the forums got a lot bigger, as you know, um, over the over the over the years. Yeah, I've heard from other other collectors when I've interviewed them. They said 2010 seemed to be the um, the year when loads of people signed up, and it started getting getting busy. It was always a yeah. I, it's got to the point now that I'm. I mean, even though I'm a moderator and I'm, I'm aware of what's going on, there's a lot of new names every single time I log in. There's always people that that are posting there that I've never heard of before, which is good. You know, it's it's nice to see it growing. Um, but it's a, it's a very different affair than what it was when I when I joined in 2008. Well, you just said you were a mod on the forum. How, how long have you been doing that? Um, a couple of years now. Um, not sh- I can't even remember how that came about, really. Um, I think Ed was just looking, Ed, the owner of the site, he was just looking for a couple, you know, an extra pair of hands. Um, they've always had a pretty good mod team on there, apart from, you know, there was a couple of, of periods where there wasn't wasn't a strong mod presence. And it was kind of like anything goes, but you know, in, in more recent years, it's, it's tightened up, and I think it's a better forum for it, really. But yeah, I'm gra- I'm glad to be on on board and part of the team. Do you have um, specific duties which you're told to undertake? <laughs> uh, no, not really. It's all pretty boring. I mean, we have to prove we have to approve first time posters, and you know, ban the idiots, and lock threads, and it's not glamorous at all. It's not a job that I would uh, I think many people would enjoy doing. 
So, are you expected to go on there daily or weekly to do more? Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a couple of moderators that slack a bit, actually, but yeah. <laughs> I must admit, actually, you, you and Liam seem to be the ones that have more of a presence online. Liam's a new, a new recruit to the team, but he's always been, since he's joined the forum, he's always been online every, you know, every other day, every day. So, it was a good, it was a good choice, and he's, um, He's a young lad as well. He's much younger than me, which is um, oh, he's he's nice. To know that. Yeah, Liam's actually. I think when he joined, he was. I don't think he was even eighteen when he first joined the forum. Oh. And it's nice to see that you know he's a young guy and he's got his priorities right. You know he's he's patient <laughs> and he, he buys collections and he sells off bits he doesn't mind. He's doing it all the right way, so it's good to see. So you don't have mod gets together then? We have meetings. Not as of yet, no. They've not. Well, they've not invited me to one anyway. Maybe they're having secret ones. I don't know. Well, um, obviously. In 2011, then, that you launched trilogo.info? That's correct, yeah. It was, what, I think it was March 2011. What made you create a website exclusively for Trilogos? Uh, I, th- I think I might have mentioned it earlier. When I was, uh, when I was uh, discovering how many variants there were out there for 8 8 on the Trilogo, um, I, there were a lot of existing, you know, there was a lot of stuff out there t- that was, was um, talking about Trilogos. There was, um, there was uh, there was a book, you know. There was a couple of threads on on different forums, but nothing was kind of in the right place. So when I was looking for information, I had to go hunting in all kinds of areas to sort of piece together the information. And I I found out within my own collection, you know, when I was doing the focus, that there were loads of different variations, and it, this kind of intrigued me. And I thought, well, maybe not everybody knows that kind of stuff. You know, most people think, oh, a try logo is just exactly that. There's no other sub-variations, and I didn't realise that, you know, back then, maybe 2008, 2009, that all the different European companies were producing their own ones and distributing their own ones, which is, you know, it's quite interesting. Um, and I took it from there. Everything kind of fell in place. I, I wasn't... I didn't set out to do a site. As I said, I was doing the... I was doing the focus thing, and, and through my own research, I realised there was a lot out there, and maybe there was need for a resource like that. So I kind of talked to a few friends at the time and I said, what do you think if I, if I was to put... I was starting actually collecting Trilogos at the time. I, I decided that I wanted to put together a set and I thought, well, while I'm doing this journey, you know, uh, buying my own collection and, and, and researching Trilogos, maybe I could sort of help others and do, put the site together and that's kind of how it was born. I must admit, it's a really informative website, having looked at it, looking it up. It's uh, anyone starting a tri-logo run or currently collecting, learn an awful lot from coming on, can't they? Um, do you have any helpers with the website, or is it all down to you? I've got, a, yeah, a couple of people that really helped me out. Sean, that you've had on the show, um, and he's a good friend of ours, Chris. Um, they both helped me out with the technical stuff. I mean, I, I had no idea how to put the site together, to be honest. Um, and Sean said, you know, he said, well, if you want to do it, you know, it, it's pretty easy. I can help you out and we can get you some web space and, and work from there. And we kind of did a behind the, so for a couple of months, we were doing like behind the scenes work, you know, and I was saying, well, I didn't really like this. And he was chopping and changing things. But yeah, they've, they've been a great help, um, on the site. Um, another guy that helped me out immensely was uh, an American collector called Jared. Um, and he helped me out with a bunch of stuff. He does a lot of the images for the site and the editing of the images. So, yeah, there, there's a few people behind the things. But um, mostly the content is me just kind of putting my thoughts on a page and then I'll run with it. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that I've never published. I've written pages and pages of stuff, and just I just keep them, you know, on the back burner. For maybe one day I'll publish an article. But it's me doing the content. I would say uh, when I get stuck, I'll quickly call Sean. <laughs> you know, if I can take help, my site's gone down, and he'll get it all back up and running. So yeah, there's a there's a good team. Um, how much time do you put into the website? It, it slowed down a little bit. I mean, I, I recently put out an article just a couple of days ago, but yeah, I don't do too many um, anymore because I've pretty much covered everything I wanted to. I'm just kind of going with the flow, you know, whatever comes up. We had Dave Tree, you know, he had that amazing discovery with the with the uh, the sheet from the, the unused sheet of uh, backers that come up. And that was just an amazing discovery. And I really want to try and speak today about that, but he's obviously a very busy man. But, yeah, as and when new, new discoveries come up, I'll be there and I'll try and document things and, and put out articles that maybe people will enjoy reading. Um, but, yeah, I don't do too much at the minute. I just kind of hover around and, and see what needs fixing or editing or whatever. But, yeah. Let's, let's move on to the Tri-Logos then as we're, we're there. What is it about the Tri-Logos that you love so much? Ah, oh, what do I love so much about them? Well, they're they're pretty tacky. I guess that's probably it. I don't know. I'm, I've always been kind of interested in Return of the Jedi, and because they they started from Return of the Jedi, you know, they came out with the second the second wave of Return of the Jedi figures, and I guess that's that's probably the reason, really. That they're, they're one of my fav- It's one of my favorite films, and they're kind of when I was when I started out collecting, they were kind of um, considered like you know. Z-list kind of rubbish collectibles and nobody was really interested in them and I always kind of liked them I had a, had a bunch of missed cards and, um, and other different trilogos when I started out and they were always kind of cheap too which is always good <laughs> and uh, yeah it kind of stemmed from there really I, I never set out to sort of, I don't have any real uh, affiliation with the early stuff I like it and I'm you know I know stuff about 12 bags and, and what, whatever but I've never really had any link to them because I guess maybe maybe my age or just because of the favourite film that I had was, was Jedi but yeah I don't know Trilogos are just kind of cheap and tacky and plentiful and, and you know the majority were released here so I've probably got a bit more of an affiliation towards them now Can you just give us some brief information on the Trilogos then for people that you know they've obviously heard of them but they might not know too much about it now I believe the line was started in about 83, 84 is that correct? That's that's correct. Yeah, they they came out with the uh, the second series of um, Return of the Jedi figures, um, European production. Obviously, they had they had Meccano in France, Palatine in England, um, PPB in uh, Spain, and there was a decision by General Mills that owned all of the companies. You know, it was giving it was given the direct orders, and they said, well, we're going to have to come up with some kind of a trilogo, uh, some kind of a packaging. Um, uh, design that we can distribute in all of the countries in Europe, so we can save, you know, save money, cut costs, and and that's where they came from. Um, and they, as I said, they were very tacky. Um, they were kind of hurriedly put together, um, just so they could get them out in all the different countries. And um, yeah, there's there's a lot. Of, I mean, you could go on the site, and there's a lot of information there. It's, it's kind of hard to sort of go back and and pick up the interesting things. But I mean, if you go on the site, you can check it all out and. Um, hopefully it will be of, of interest. Yeah, how, do you know how many factories these were um, distributed in in Europe? Um, yeah, you've got um, Palatoy handled most of the distribution. Um, UK, um, they also sent their stuff to um, the Netherlands, 
a, a few various different countries. They were producing for quite a few different countries at the time. Um, they kind of produced, uh, produced for their own country, which was France, and PPB uh, produced for Spain. So, yeah, pretty much, I would say, majority of the um, the European countries had tri-logos. I've even heard of them being uh, distributed in Hungary. I'm not 100% sure that that's true, but I've got a Hungarian guy on the on the forum that I run, and he was he's adamant that he saw them on the pegs, you know, in, in the 80s. So um, even in Portugal too, I've I've uh, there's there's an import sticker variant uh, that's Portuguese. So yeah, they they pretty much got everywhere. So you've got you've got the logos, the lo- logos on the front. They cascade from left to right, don't they? Was there ever any other any other designs for these um, for the logos? Was there other prototype cards made or anything? Um, as far as I know, there wasn't, but they did do um, Power of the Force uh, tri-logos. It's not, they didn't do any uh, fig, uh, figure um, uh, packaging for it, but they did do a few uh, play packs. Um, and it was, again, it was the cascading logo, the three logos. Um, but it, instead of Return of the Jedi, it was, um, yeah, it was Power of the Force. So, yeah, I don't know where the line could have gone given time and popularity but obviously the line kind of ended and died and popularity went and and it was that really but they, they did release a few parallel force um, items yeah. when, when did it finish did it last long I, I believe that uh, I'm trying to think now the, the palatoid factory closed maybe 85 and um, there's a good article on on the um, on the internet actually all about the um, the end of the Palatoid factory, and I think everything got kind of cancelled around 85, 86, maybe. It didn't last too long, but it, it, a good uh, a couple of years of solid production, definitely. When it comes to the photos on the cards, are there many differences to the normal photos using the original runs? Yeah, actually, um, that's, a, that's a pretty good area for, um, for interest, and a lot of people will get interested in the, the alternative um, images used on the card backs. Um, and this was mainly because... The photo art that was used for the Kenner cards, um, it sometimes got changed over time for for catalogs. You know, they would airbrush it, and and that was the piece that was um, that was kept. You know, and that was then used for subsequent packaging. So a lot of a lot of collectors tend to try logos because they are so different. You've got you've got various different figures that look completely different to the Kenner counterparts. You know, so yeah, it's a good it's a good area for that. Um, some striking differences in the artwork, and a lot of people really like that. Um, as I said, with the airbrushing work, they were towards the end of the 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 line. They were kind of trying new things, and there's a good example actually. The um, the Rebel Commando um, photo art was was airbrushed um, to maybe maybe to be more vivid. I don't know, but the original image was was literally you know a screen capture of the film, and he was in his the, the character was in his. Um, Uniform and it looked all very real and, and film realistic, and then they they airbrushed it like a bright green, maybe to stand out more. Who knows? But yeah, that ended up being on the Trilogo cards and also on the uh, the unproduced uh, Power of the Force um, cards as well. So yeah, there's there's some pretty good differences there, and a lot of them look visually different, and a lot of collectors like that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but all the figures were repackaged except six. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much. There was, uh, I'm trying to think, there was 84, um, 84 tri that were put out on tri packaging, uh, and there's six which are, they were put out, but they were put out on something called hybrids, which were um, 
a lot of, for a lot of a lot of the time uh, previously to the work that I did on the site, a lot of people thought that this they were the those six characters were the first ones to come out with a trilogue back, and maybe they were kind of like the the gap between the the last Return of the Jedi figures that Palazzo put out and trilogues. But in actual fact, it does seem more like they were kind of like a late decision to reissue them because they're on they're on the more common card back that was put out towards the end of the line and they just just for some reason they never updated the, the front they just put it out on like a Return of the Jedi front also there's many different miscards isn't there on Trilogos why do they appear so many on Trilogo cards rather than other cards okay well the the, the miscards for Trilogos um, it, it's important that you understand that those they're not mistakes as such um, they're actually uh, towards the end of the line, there was lots of uh, other stock factory cards. There was lots of figures. You know, I can imagine the, the, the scenes that all the different factories that probably had tubs full of figures. Um, and basically, what they did, and I believe the majority were, pack- were packaged in um, the Meccano factory in France. Um, they took a card. They took figures. They probably had a list of what to put together because it was kind of like the most closest match they could find. Um, and they basically just packaged them up and sold them. And it wasn't, you know, it's not that they're errors as such, it's just that they were just, it was just a means to get them out and get them sold really and get rid of the stock. Do you have any? Uh, I've owned quite a few yeah, over the years. I don't have any at the moment. Um, the last one I owned was quite quite a hard to find one. Um, it was an act bar on a Tuscan Raider card. Um, and I sold that to Gary Smith. Actually, he's, he's got quite a big miscard collection and he was, he was missing that one. So, yeah, it went to a good home. What's, what's the nicest miscard combination you've seen? Which what, what do you think works the best? Uh, there's there's some pretty good ones. Um, I would say anything with a, a Jawa inside, or even the Jawa card, that would probably be the ultimate one because the Jawa is considered quite a rare tri logo. Um, I think there's there's been there's been an, a Jawa and an Agnot card, and um, I think there's a Jawa figure on a Warrock card. So yeah, they're they're pretty cool. When you say they were done on purpose and they've got some um, meaning. Akbar on a um, Sam person's <laughs> card, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a bit of a strange uh, combination, isn't it? Well, this is the thing. I mean, a lot of a lot of them are kind of interesting because they're so wacky. But because they repeat, you know, you could—they're not anomalies. You don't find just one. You'll find maybe ten of the same combinations. That's—it's. It's, there must have been a method to the madness, but nobody really knows why. Some of them kind of make sense. You've got like. Three uh, PO on a Death Star, Death Star droid card or something like that because they robots, you know. Um, but yeah, some of them are kind of wacky. But they, again, they repeat, so it must have been, you know, the guy says to his his boss in the factory which which figures and which cards, and he just points to them and off he goes. As, as well as miss cards, the I believe this is right. Um, Greedo, Hammerhead, Cloud Car Pilot, both Bespin guards and Snaggletooth were released. Were released you know, on, on Trilogos, but they had differences to their cards. Um, what was different about their cards to the normal Trilogo? That's correct, yeah. Those those were the hybrids, and those... Uh, they're, um, they're kind of... Uh, some of them are difficult to find. Hammerheads are difficult finds. Um, I would say... Uh, Cloud Car Pilot is probably the, 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 toughest, the toughest one of the lot. But yeah, there were. It's a weird thing. I mean, nobody really knows for sure. It's kind of guesswork with some theory. But um, I think they're kind of like the last few figures. They must have just had a bunches of figures, and they wanted to get rid of them, so they just packaged them on these cheapo cards, you know, and 
in the front of the Z, they were they were Return of the Jedi front. Trello got backs, but maybe they didn't have any of the earlier designs for the backs, and, and they just used the one they were currently using. So, yeah, they're pretty interesting. Some of them are quite hard to find. Some of them are easier. You know, Black Besting Guards is quite an easy one to find. Snaggletooth is easy to find, too. But yeah, they're, they're pretty interesting. I like those. Yeah. Are uh, Trello cards generally hard to come by? Uh, according to some, they are. According to me, <laughs> no. I, I don't know. I mean... It, they are and they aren't. There, there are some variations that are very hard to find. There's some figures like Maydine that you may have, you may well know. It's you know, generally considered the hardest Trilogo figure to find. Um, but generally speaking, they do come up quite often. I and mean, if you're if you're hunting for them on eBay or the forums, you know they'll they'll pop up and you'll get multiple chances to buy them. So I don't think they're the by far the rarest figures that you can find um, but within within the collection there are a few that are hard they're difficult yeah difficult to locate if, if a collector wanted to put together like a box standard rum with one of each figure in it in the current market what do you reckon they're looking to pay oh wow uh, yeah um, I mean if you were going to put every single figure together it's going to be multiple thousands um, purely because uh, a couple of them are are worth you know maybe three four thousand on their own but the but that's you know I don't want to discourage anyone. You can probably put a good base set of sixty seventy figures together. You know maybe averaging hundred hundred pounds a figure, maybe fifty pounds a figure. It's, you know it really depends what you're after. But it's got to be multiple thousands. If you if you complete the the, the figure set with Maydean uh, set and the Jawa Trilogo, it's going to be a lot of money. But you know you can you can cut corners and you can save on the cheaper ones. And what you save, maybe you can put towards the more expensive ones. You just said Medine's the hardest to find. Is there any other really tricky ones to get? Yeah, there are a couple of um, uh, company-specific variations that are really hard to find. Uh, Meccano put out Meccano put out a lot of Trilogo figures, but some of them, for some reason, are, are really hard to find. Um, I think there's a Death Star droid, which is a Meccano exclusive. It's got it's got you know no CO uh, no COO even um, country of origin stamp on the back of the leg of the figure inside the bubble, um, and that's a, a small bubble variant. It's really really hard to find. But it, as I said, Maidine is hard to find purely because for some strange reason, Meccano was the only company that decided to re-release him. Uh, Palatoy didn't put out the Maidine tri logo on a common card, so it's it was only distributed in France, which is really strange. And he's the only he's the only example um, of a Trilogo figure that that happened with. So yeah, he's he's rare for that reason. But there are there are still quite a few out there. I did read a great little story on your website actually when I was researching about um, regarding Medine and a very low price. Could you refresh my memory on that story? Say about ninety yeah. euros or something for a. Yeah, that was I can't remember now if that was a ninety euro buy it now or. I think it was a buy it now. Yeah, it was. It was really low. Anyway, uh, that that appeared. Obviously, the seller didn't know what he had, um, and any day of the week, that's a, maybe two thousand minimum pound, uh, you know, figure. And obviously, he didn't realise what he had. He put it put it out for a low buy it now. Someone bought it, and <laughs> obviously, a lot of people saw the auction. It was posted on the forums, and people got chatting to the seller, and it never actually went to the the guy that hit the buy it now sadly so he never got his 90 year old Medine oh uh, wasn't a complete set then <laughs> they call it they call it backdooring you know you've you've seen someone get a deal maybe you can pay a bit more or maybe you want the figure a bit more you speak to the seller and you work something out so 
Yeah, it happens a lot, unfortunately. But yeah, I think it ended up going to someone for about two, two and a half thousand euros at the time. But it's in a good collection now, so all's well that ends well. Yeah, and I suppose at least the seller got to have someone nice telling the truth. So. Yeah, there's that too. I mean, there's people that list on eBay. It's hard for me when, in this day and age when you can research things in, you know, you just have to click your fingers and you found all the information you need. And they just lazily list things. And I kind of find myself thinking, do I feel bad for them that they've listed it for £90 and it's worth 3000 You know, I don't know. But in the end of the day, I'm sure he, he got a pretty good amount of money for his figure too. Yeah. Now, they state on the website that the Trilogo figures were actually really mass-produced. That's true, yeah, that's true. To a point, I mean, there's there's not any, you know, there's not a, a massive amount out there, but there's enough to satisfy demand, at least as, that's what I, I believe anyway. And you state that there was quite a lot of overstock as well. What what would happen to all the overstock? Uh, well, when when everything went, you know, the, the Palatoy shut up shop and all the other factories were kind of disbanded and they kind of did other things, I think, I'm not sure if McConnell ended their their toy manufacturing, but I think they obviously went into different lines. Um, but when Star Wars was winding down, a lot of this stuff was kind of just like taking up warehouse space, and um, they they basically sent it over to whoever was buying it for the you know the, the cheapest kind of price. And there was a company of uh, a couple of places in America that um, were quite interested in picking up you know low price stock and just putting it out there for bargain bin prices. Uh, one of those places was KB in America. And they they ended up getting pretty much, you know, majority of the figures that come out now and, and you find for sale on eBay are from those days. And, you know, they were shipped over uh, in mass and um, ended up in bargain bins in America. So it's, it's really strange. Yeah, European figures always destined for European distribution and then somehow they got sort of flung over the other side of the pond, so... So you're saying there's a chance that yak faces were available in America? Definitely. Uh, there's been there's been numerous uh, uh, figures, uh, yak face figures that have appeared on eBay over the years that have got... one. The one in, I've got pictured on my site actually has a, a factory um, a factory place sticker. It says, new figure, £159. Uh, and, and in the top right-hand corner, it's got a KB dollar, dollar sign sticker, you know, so it's... It, it got packaged up for England, um, for release in England, and then it ended up in America. It's really strange. But yeah, definitely, they, they had they had Yak Face figures. Probably the kids that were buying them had no idea what they were, but yeah, they definitely had them. Well, well, well. Isn't it true that in the early years of collecting, uh, that you, well, I think we've, you've already, you've already um, mentioned this earlier, isn't it, that Trilogo cards weren't very desirable at the time? Why exactly was this, and why in recent times has it then suddenly changed, and people now find them a, an attractive item to own? I would say um, in the early days they were considered cheap. You know, I would imagine in the early nineties, late nineties, they were still quite. They were the, you know, they were the last product on the shelves, so they were kind of new. A lot of people were, were more interested in the early stuff, and you know, they were considered cheap. There were loads of them out there, so people weren't that bothered. And then over time, they realised that the Kenner stuff was all the bubbles were yellowing, you know, and and kind of the showing signs of age. And Trilogo still looked kind of brand new. So they thought, well, why am I, you know, why am I spending loads of money on, on yellow bubble figures when and most people don't like that? So they turned to Trilogos and, and they have a nice fresh display. That I mean, a lot of a lot of Trilogo figures are damaged, sadly, but 
they still look very good on display. So yeah, I think that's that's the main reason why people choose Trilogos over any other figure is purely because it's a it's a, a display aspect. They look much better, and you can see the card art. The figures in the bubbles look great. So I think that's the main reason behind it. We've talked about pricing and stuff on here, but you recently, I think it, I think it was even this week, the start of the week, that you put a put up an article on trilogo.info, which um, you've linked to all the forums, I've noticed, regarding current prices, rarity, and AFA. Could you tell us about this article, the inspiration behind it, and how it's been received? Because uh, there is a couple of um, couple of items in there that might upset a few dealers from Trilogo, isn't there? Uh, yeah, that's true. Sadly, it was never an article that was going to win everybody's you know, admiration and respect. I, I knew ahead of time putting that out that it was going to... It was going to hurt, maybe maybe hurt people's sales. I didn't want that to happen necessarily, but at the same time, the, at the moment prices are really really silly. They're crazy. You know, stuff that you could have bought for two hundred pounds a couple of years ago is now all of a sudden one thousand five hundred pounds, and there's no real reason other than there's a lot of people out there with a lot of money to burn. And I I see this on a daily. You know, I'm checking the I'm checking eBay for Trilogos daily, and I see these figures sell. But they're no rarer than than they were when I was collecting. You know, I don't understand where the price increase is coming from. Fair enough, there's probably more people out there that are trying to bid for them and you know buy them. But at the same time, they may not realise that they if they waited, you know, three, four months, six months, then maybe they'll get a better deal. They probably think, oh, this is the one I want to get. You know, I'll stick all my money on this one, and that will be that done. But that's not the way to collect. That's not the way I've, I've ever collected. If it's too much for me on a personal level, and maybe it's not for these guys now, but you know you have to be you have to be um, realistic with budgets. These are just toys at the end of the day, and although they're collectors' items, we've all got mouths to feed. You know, a lot of us have got families, and is it really worth spending or overspending on toys when you could get pick up a better deal in the future? I don't think it is. I think it's it's worthwhile waiting and and trying to get the best deal you can. Uh, your money goes further that way. You can buy more toys at the end of the day if you save money. Um, but yeah, that was the aim of the article. I wanted to kind of portray a better image uh, of of the market than there was currently. And a lot of people think that there's, these things are really scarce. You know, I'm never going to get another opportunity to buy one. But it's not it's not the case. Not in my opinion, at least. Do, do you think it's like the internet and Facebook groups that have really pushed the prices up? It's so accessible, isn't it, for a seller to? Yeah, I, th- I think it can be. The Facebook groups um, they leave a lot to be desired. I'm not. I'm not in too many now, so that I left a few because I, I just couldn't. You know, it was it was like Star Wars overload every single day. Messages and groups, and you know, it was just too much. And it, it's very strange because, in, in a strange way, for a long time, it's always been it's always been Rebel Scum forums was the biggest forum, uh, Star Wars forum, and a couple of other forums. You know, they had a few hundred members each, a thousand members. But now with Facebook, it's like this whole sh- new world of like thousands and thousands of people all, all collecting the same thing as us. And it just, I don't know where they've come from. It's a very strange feeling. I don't know if they've always been there, but um, they certainly don't take part in the forums, which is, you know, it's paramount, paramount to collecting. You've got to pick up your info and your, your research from somewhere. And it's nice just to be involved with a group of people that share the same interests. But these people are like, I call them the anonymous buyers because nobody seems to know who they are. And, and I don't know if they're showing up on Facebook uh, groups, showing off their purchases, but yeah, there's lots of behind-the-scenes people with a lot of money that are just kind of shelling out money left, right and centre. And 
I can't honestly see the reason for it because I know I know deep down how common these stickers are, and I know that you could pick them up any time you wanted. Um, even in the article, I, I chose Yak Face as an example. Um, there were, I mean, there's there's probably like three or four on there now. You can just go at any time and just buy one. That's not rare. So you know, why are you chucking money at it? It's very very strange, very strange feeling at the moment. Do you, do you think it's obviously the new film? I should imagine has attracted older people back into into Star Wars. So do you think the prices are going to rise even more as we get nearer the film? They may well do. Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm really not sure what the future holds. Um, it's it's very strange. As I said, it's it's not. We've seen price incre- increases over the years. Um, even when you know the, when the prequels came out, and with with every film there was more expectation and more more fans buying into toys. But um, I don't know that we've ever seen price increases of this kind of magnitude. I don't think we've ever seen things jump up. Uh, triple, you know, quadruple over over the space of a year. It doesn't really make much sense to me because the more interest there is and the more collectors there are, the more items that are coming out. You know, there's loft finds and there's people thinking, oh, I've got a load of stuff, you know, in the garage. I'd better get it out and sell it. So, so as well as more fans, there's more toys coming out of the woodwork. So it should really meet the demand. But at the same time, a lot of people are just kind of chucking money at it regardless. You know, they don't seem to care that maybe the thing they're buying isn't as rare as they perceive, or, or maybe they could wait and buy one cheaper. So, I don't know. If, if, if the new films are a hit, then who knows? It could, it could, it could double and skyrocket. You, know, you don't know. There's also a lot of problem with these people that spend this money on them. When they come to resell, they're not going to take a loss on them, are they? The majority of well, stuff are going to... Yeah, that's exactly another reason. That's, it's a big problem, because if you've spent... If you've overspent on something, you're never going to get your money back. So, it's not very much... It's not a good investment at all, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but we'll see. You know, in five, ten years, I'll probably still be here doing the same kind of thing. You know, and hopefully that things will have kind of evened out a bit and gone back to normal. But we'll see. I mean, the new films. I'm I'm excited to see what happens with the new films. I'm not. Uh, you know, a part of me says if they're hit, maybe prices will go through the roof even more, and it will be really silly. I mean, it's silly now, but maybe it will be stupid. You know. Um, but I do want to see a really good film, so I'm kind of torn. Do I, do I sacrifice my hobby? I'm, you know, because if prices go even higher, I'm probably just going to have to give in and say, oh, well, well, I can't be a collector anymore. And that's hard for me to say, you know, after 10, 10, 12 years of collecting. I don't really want to pack it in, but if prices are too high that I can't compete, then that, that's all that I can do. But yeah, I, I do want to see a good film, so, you know, I hope for a good film, but I hope that people maybe read the article that I put out and maybe gain a bit more information do their homework a little better and spend their money a bit more wisely. The general reaction to your article has been positive, though, hasn't it? I know on um, Star Wars Forum, I don't think you had any negative comments at all. But uh, there's, yeah, there's been a few, um, and as I said earlier, it's, it's sadly it's mainly dealers because the bottom line is they're out to make a profit, you know, and I understand that. A lot of them dealing, dealing in toys is their, that's their job. So, you know, they don't really want prices to go down if people are spending silly money. But at the same time, you know, we've got to look out for everybody in this hobby and not everybody knows the full story. But yeah, overall, it's it's not been too bad. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of positive comments and a lot of people are sharing the article on Facebook and, um, you know, they're saying, oh, thanks for, you know, saying what we were thinking. Because that's the problem as well. 
uh, everybody feels the same way, or at least you know, eighty, ninety percent of collectors feel the same way, but they don't want to say anything, or they don't have an, uh, a way of putting their thoughts out there where people are going to take notice. So yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of do it or just be quiet and you know let things go their own way. But now the article's out there, maybe it will do some good. Maybe it will you know it will benefit the community. I, I find your um your bit on grading quite interesting as well about how how those houses are just stick something in an acrylic box with someone's view on a grading cost can lift the price so much. Um, do you think you get to a point where everything's going to be graded? Yeah, that that's a worry of mine actually. I, I've noticed in recent years that the the stuff that was in lesser condition it wasn't as good condition as the stuff that's sort of commanding all this high high prices. That was it was more readily available, but then. The U grade come along and that was AFA, you know, their great idea to grade things out of the package, um, and they were destroying a lot of that. You know, a lot of the low grade stuff is now U grades. They're not packaged to figures, figures anymore, and the high grade stuff is being sent in to be flipped for profit. So, a lot of the stuff's being taken off the market purely because of AFA. Um, I, I don't know. They've made such a, a huge impact on the hobby. But it's, in my opinion at least, it's in a negative way. You know, they've, they've reduced the amount of, of low-grade toys that are out there by just dis- discarding the packaging and, you know, selling a figure in a box. And all the stuff that was actually pretty good to look at, you know, factory fresh, and it's all commanding silly prices now. So I'm not an AFA fan. I'm not a grading fan. I've never never been a fan of grading. I, I think it's, um, to be honest, and I don't want to swear too much on the podcast, but, yeah, I think it's... Up, up the hobby, and and it's really uh, you know, it's it's the root of all the of the problems that we see now. Right. Well, um, I better start wrapping it up because uh, we're heading on for an hour's interview here. But um, something I always ask at the end of my interviews, Joe, and that's if if we had to move to another planet or out of this system or something, money was no of no interest. Which one piece from your collection would you be grabbing to take with you if you only allowed one piece? Oh, that's a tough one. Um. If I could only take one piece, I've mentioned it probably a, a bunch of times on the podcast already in this interview, but I would say it's probably the unproduced Power of the Force proof card, only because it's the only unproduced thing I've got, um, you know, and I just think it's such a good it's such a good reminder of what could have been, you know, all the figures that didn't quite make it to Power of the Force, but they were kind of pending release, and they were, that was cut short, sadly, and... And I've got a little reminder of that, you know, in the cabinet. And, that, you know, it's, it's one thing that I, I really... I looked for one for a long time. I had a, had an opportunity to buy one at, a, at what I thought was quite a lot of money at the time. It was a high price. And, uh, you know, a couple of years later, I ended up paying double for it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, no, I'd take that. It's it's probably the most money I've ever spent on a toy. But it's also my favourite. So, yeah, I'd, I'd take that with me. Actually, just one other thing I wanted to ask you about... Um about your article you mentioned about doing a price guide are you actually considering doing that um yes i am um it's not something i wanted to do purely because i felt that if i put one out there it might come back in my face you know if i start saying that a certain figure is worth something that i believe it's worth and then loads of people come back and say well look five have just sold for double that people are going to say well he's talking out of his backside but at the same time i do think there should be some kind of guide there, but even if it's kind of not quite right, but in the same kind of ballpark of what people should be expecting to pay, 
Um, so yeah, I'm I'm trying to put one together. It's not an easy task because um, uh, a lot of people want me to include variations, and uh, you know, if, if something's a unique variation or there's not very many of them out there, how am I supposed to price it? But uh, yeah, it's it's something I want to do, um, as well as a rarity guide to kind of go along with the article. But we'll see. You know, yeah, it's it's maybe it's in the pipeline, but it's a lot of work and something I'm not really looking forward to. But I'd happily do it if the community wanted it. Yeah, watch this space. Yeah, kind of thing. Watch this space. It's right. Well, Joe, I've had a blast chatting to you, and of course, there's still so much to discuss, especially regarding the tri logo. Um, cause we haven't even touched on the box toy range, which I'd like to at some point. So it'd be great if we could get you maybe on just inside the new year and do a second part on this. That sounds good to me, Stuart. Yeah, no problem. I'll be happy to take part in another interview. Wonderful. Thank you ever so much, Joe. Really do appreciate your time. No problem at all, Stuart. Thanks a lot. One day, when my dad went fishing and mummy was entertaining Uncle Colin in her bedroom, we had to play downstairs on the computer. Come on, Charlie, let's fire up the modem. I was looking on the computer for an internet website I heard my friends talking about at school. It is about my favourite thing in the whole wide world other than Charlie, which is Star Wars figures, and it is called AllianceFilth.com. I'm really into this forum, and now it looks like I've found some other people to buy some vintage toys from. Isn't this fun, Charlie? Yippee! Charlie says, when you go onto the internet to talk about vintage Star Wars figures, on forums that you have heard about from nefarious sources. It can be highly dangerous, and you can end up accidentally pawning all of your mum's jewellery in exchange for a Darth Vader bookmark, and being made to pay for that mistake with your pocket money for the next 27 years. To make sure that you don't make the same mistakes, there's only one place to be, and that's the world's best ever vintage Star Wars collecting forum, on www.starwarsforum.co.uk Twin Suns
sun's dead away Tell me everything I know Twin sun's dead away Tell me everything I know Solos are fine But duets are romantic A pair of scrambled And a tree would be disastrous I'd like to think There's a star for me and you Spinning round Falling for one another Okay, that was Jerry Messersmith with Tatooine. There's a great video of it by Eric Power as well on YouTube. If you type Jerry Messersmith Tatooine into YouTube, check out their great work. We'll post links on our Facebook page. Twin Sons of Tatooine taught me everything I know. What fantastic lyrics. So uh, a big thanks to those guys for letting us use their work. We'll have more fan audio tunes in future episodes of, of the podcast. So if you see one you like, or if you've made one yourself, please let us know. We'd love to play it. We'd love to promote it. Okay, welcome to this month's event section. First of all, we're going to do a roundup of Fax 2014, which was sort of like a, a family trip where the podcast went to Ghent in Belgium. Uh, we were invited by Tim Vekoven, who we interviewed on episode five. Now, I'm going to try and make this a little bit more fun for the people listening rather than just having, you know, an audio version of looking at holiday snaps. Now, we arrived in Ghent in Belgium with only four hours sleep as we travelled either across the UK or down it. Ben couldn't make it because of his newborn little miracle, but our first stop was a beer and a, and a crash at Stu's house. Pete, Stu's having a problem with his garage. What is it? Stu has an amazing hoarding problem um, where he has everything under the sun in his garage. It's like a dream place to go and play with, and we're thinking about moving in there, aren't we, Grant? So, Stu, is it all right if me and Pete come over and live in your garage? It's fine. It's fine, as long as you tidy up while you're in there. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Are you going to sell all that stuff and buy a card of Yak Face? Well, yeah, I'll definitely sell most of the stuff in there. Yeah, because we need, need some room in there, I think, mate. Well, after arriving in Ghent sleep-deprived, we started about checking out the convention. Question for Rich. What is the Palitoy equivalent in Belgium? A wine or somebody who's desperate, standing on the corner, selling the big issue. How strange. Oh, right, is that not the answer? I thought you meant describe a Palatoy uh, collector. Are you referring to... <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry to everybody you've offended there. Um, Clipper? Clipper, correct. I'm, I'm going to have to take a second answer on that, uh, to be honest, Rich. What about Holland? What about Holland? I, I wasn't, we weren't at Holland, Grant, we Belgium. I know, but what's the Palatoy equivalent in Holland? Could that be Clipper again? Yep, well done. Hey, we're on form tonight. Okay, so clippers are on the menu. Stu, how long did it take before you bought a clipper at the Ghent convention? I reckon it was between about three to five minutes. I have to be honest with you, brother, you're easier to sell to than Chris Man and Jez. 
<laughs> Do you actually know if you had a squid head before you bought it? I know you were quite confused I, after you bought it. No, no, I didn't. That was lucky. Pete, on to you. How many seconds after <laughs> Steve bought his flipper did you actually buy one? I think it must have been maybe a minute or two. Because as, as, as you're walking away, the, I, I saw in the, a cabinet, it was like a, I think it was a die cast, and just thought, oh, that's nice. But your little beady little eyes had gone a little bit below that, and uh, there was a Princess Leia, uh, a Jedi carded figure, looking a bit worse for wear is the fact that it was a bit faded. But you went straight there, and suddenly I was forking out cash. Because obviously I wanted to start my my Princess Leia carded focus that weekend, and uh, within within three minutes all my carded budget had gone. Do you know what? What I found interesting as well, I know that Princess Leia Organa original on the Return of the Jedi card is is pretty difficult for a Leia figure to get on the Return of the Jedi card. It's probably the hardest Return of the Jedi card figure to get. But this is a pally toy Return of the Jedi with a clipper sticker. So I'm you know I'm throwing it out there. I wonder if that's a lot harder to get than the Kenner one. But anyway, moving on next to. Femme Trooper. Stu, describe Femme Trooper Girl in one word. Oh, Ooh, dear. Um, oh, dear. I'll take I that. Think, I, I think that was it. That was good. Pete, same question. Femme Trooper Girl in one word. Oh, hello. That's two words. I'll take O. Rich, <laughs> over to you. Same question. Femme Trooper Girl in one word. Oh. What? Is this Northern speak again? Rich, you've got to speak English on this podcast. Did not you just say Northern? I said Bob. Body off beer watch, face off crime watch. Okay, we're going to have to put some R2-D2s in for that one, that's for sure. Uh, now, the convention is pretty much like any of the large comic cons in the UK. Um, it also had a fan area there, which we were able to meet Tim and his TK crew. Rich, lots going on in the fan area. Try not to swear this time, but what do you recollect? I haven't sworn yet. I, do, I, I don't swear very often, Grant. From the fan area, the meeting Ben, by far, that was the highlight of the convention. And the whole Can you describe fan, that? Can I describe it? Well, tell you, tell you the truth, Ben was much more energetic. He was far more interesting than when we've normally met him. His microphone worked. Yes, there was, there, was no, there was no hissing, there was no buzzing. had a really good conversation with him. I felt as though I was actually talking to an intelligent being. Um, and that's, that actual area we're in was very reminiscent of CE2, you know, obviously with all the, the foreign stuff there and the posters and the um, memorabilia and the movie props, etc., etc. So the, the fan area was really, really good. Yeah, for those who, for those who don't actually know, the, uh, the Ben referring to is a uh, life-size puppet of Max Rebo, so haha. Pete, any recollections of the fan area, any of the Star Wars stuff? You had the uh, R2 Builders Club there, the 501st, anything stick out to you? I think I think the Jabba scene where where, where we met Ben was brilliant because it was great for photographs and uh, it was obviously a lure for any slave layers to pop on, but there weren't many there, so uh, they didn't really. But there were, there were some great things like uh, you had like the big cards so you could go and stand pretend to be on a on a card back. There was like a human size one. There was also a twelve inch box if you wanted to pretend you were a twelve inch figure as well. There was all that sort of all that sort of stuff there and. Plenty of like the Mandalorian mercs were there as well, so you go and get your picture taken with various Boba Fetts and stormtroopers and all sorts. So it was a real, real kind of good place to hang out. Really, you could go there and spend hours just kind of hanging around, getting pictures taken. So I thought the um, the R two Builders Club. I mean, they've come a long way. Those R two units are amazing. I feel that they're actually uh, making the R two units for the Force Awakens now. So that's quite interesting. What we have learned is that we have too much fun at conventions, and we are complete wreckheads. And in the evening, our so-planned interviews, which makes this uh, section a bit more interesting, uh, once beer passes our lips, that goes out the window. 
And I think this is the problem with being house husbands. One taste of freedom and we go with Lindsay Lohan. Uh, so we could have, you know, done a great interview with, let me try and get this right now, CY Free PJO Collectibles. We had a fantastic stall, but, um, yeah, I guess we're gonna, just going to have to describe it. Stu, what can you tell us about the yak faces on his stall? Sticky. Are we talking about the false, the fake ones or the real ones? Exactly, both. What did you think of the fake yak face that you showed us? Disgusting, really. You'd never pass it as a real one, would you? I reckon in a photo with loads of other figures on eBay, you might be able to get away with it. Yeah. And that was my big concern. But when you actually have this thing in hand, it's, it's junk. Yeah. Pete, you saw a yak face as well. The first beta yak face. Yeah, I, I was kind of really tempted, but because I spent more money than I thought I had, or I was going to, or I was planning maybe to spend some more later on, I didn't take a punt on it because it kind of meets in with my collecting, which is a kind of like slightly B3 figures, but not smashed up. But it was the most used yak face in the world. It, it did have a charm, and I might, I might go back for it if they still got it because uh, I think we have their contact details. But it was, it was beautifully, beautifully played with. It was had loose limbs, lots of paint missing, very dirty looking. It, it was definitely. Uh, Someone who played and played and played with that. It was like a like a, you know, a normal beta figure. I don't think I've ever seen one like that before. But um, it's about they were about sixty five euros. It's, it's a little bit too much. But there's still there's still time. There's still time. Do you know what that that yak face has been played more than any of my childhood uh, action figures? I've never seen one like that before. And I was thinking to myself on the on the drive to work this morning how it got that well played. And the only thing I could think of was that because the conflict. Uh, you know, a kid playing Star Wars toys has come to the conclusion that the Empire and the Rebellion, their war is destroying the universe, and it's up to Yak Face and his mate Prune Face to sort it out, and that's how they got all the play value out of it. Otherwise, how could you possibly play that much with Yak Face? Rich, any thoughts on the CY3PJO stall? <laughs> I know you bought a land speeder from him. I did, I bought a land speeder, I got it for a really good price because the guy was dealing in boxed and carded so he wasn't um, really that up on the loose stuff so he sold me um, a fully working Kenner land speeder um, really good condition and I think I got it for about 20 euros or something like that Over to you now, Stu, is this the same guy that was stalking Stuart in the toilets to buy him a man a man? It was, he was uh, whispering in my ear as I was having a tinkle he just seemed to be everywhere I went. Because the cinema in the place was quite large. Everywhere I went, he just seemed to be in front of me. And it was just like, it was a bit, bit crazy, really. But I think you had the main man on the stall. And then you obviously had those other two, which he sent out once someone showed an interest in something. He sent them out to hassle until the deal was done. And um, and, and did you buy the man a man? Yeah. Good man. Weak-minded, eh? Mmm, <laughs> the force. Uh, chatting to the, the guys at that store, though, uh, I mean, they did say that they had two lockers full of Star Wars stuff. And, you know, if anyone wants to contact them, they certainly have a look to see what they got. They had a lot of fantastic collectibles there, a lot of uh, really nice box ships like sand crawlers and stuff like that. So if anyone actually wants to check out, they have a website at www.cy3pjo.nl. I'm quite confused by that name. Do you think that's how they spell C3PO in Holland? No idea. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Darren Simpson, Stars and Toys, was there. Had lovely pieces as always. Rich, if you could buy anything off Darren's stall, don't worry about the money. What would you pick up? Because he had loads of great stuff. I was looking at his one of the lunch boxes that he had um, for sale. Because um, I wouldn't want anything boxed or carded, even if it was you know one of the rarest, one of a kind. Uh, 
items that, that, that he had, and he had a lot of great stuff there. But the lunchbox really appealed to us because I didn't have that one as a kid, but I had something similar. It was quite cheap. It was only like 30 quid or something like that. Um, but that's what I would have picked up. Stu, he had a couple of nice Meccano carded figures, which are the Obi-Wan and... can't remember now. And a 12-back Stormy, didn't he? But they're all a bit out of my price range. Yeah, he had a lot of nice carded figures there. Yeah. Yeah, do you know what? I really like the. I think he come from uh, Robert Watts, who was, you know, he was a producer on uh, Jedi and Empire, and I think he did a lot of the camera work and production on Star Wars. And he had some of the used storyboards from the films in a glass cabinet there, and I was like, oh man, I would really like some of those. Those are awesome. Um, there was an eclectic mix of fandom at the convention. In terms of fan stuff, I've never even heard of, far beyond my Star Wars radar. There's another stall, oldschooltoys.com. Rich, you were chasing them for something. What was it? A pop-up uh, saber for R2, and the guy told me he had four of them, and we agreed a price of 40 euros, and I was absolutely ecstatic about it. But there was a problem, and I think you can guess what the obvious problem was. No saber? No saber. There was no there, there must have been a communication barrier. Was he Dutch, this guy? You were speaking Geordie, though, Rich, so he was never going to understand you. Yeah, <laughs> German, was he? <laughs> yeah. Why, hey, man, you got any green sabers, man? What? <laughs> what? Was it Jamaican, Pete? <laughs> yeah, so I almost, uh, it was touch and go, I almost put down a deposit or even paid the full amount because I was that worried of somebody um, sniping us. Um, and obviously, you know, we've got Stu Sniper, who wouldn't surprise me if he had a boat or four when we're on the way back to the ferry. Um, and I'm so glad I didn't. I sent the guy an email, you know, asking for more more pictures, etc., etc. And he was, his response was, oh, I haven't got the sabers. So, devastated. Well, after our first hectic day, we returned to the hostel for no sleep and instead went out for a few beers, which ended up with us coming out of a nightclub at 5am. <laughs> Stu, big question for you. What kind of traffic should you not get hit by? Traffic? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, personally, mate, I don't think you should get hit by any traffic. That's uh, a pretty good rule. I would, yeah, I'll accept that. The two answers I had was moving or bus, which you almost did. I haven't actually got any recollection of that bus. Yeah. Can, it was can, so close, mate. It was unbelievably close. You see, the, the, the bus, for those who aren't aware, um, the coaches in Belgium, they have these huge wing mirrors which come right out of the pavement. and They're about four foot from the ground. And as the bus went hurtling past, it whizzed over the top of Stu's head. Oh. And, and a Belgian woman oh, wow. was in hysterics. Um, and she was chuntering away in Belgian to Stu, who just smiled. He thought he was being chatted up. Um, she was about 75, 80 years old, so he thought he was in with a chance. But if he had been 4'1", 4'2", that would took your head clean off. We would have still gone clubbing anyway. Or <laughs> a headless Stu. Yeah, I think, I think Stu was pretty headless in the club anyway. Yeah, headless, and then he would have been legless as well, so there wouldn't be much left of him. Well, after that, we had the opportunity to meet two Dutch girls, and we showed him a few magic tricks. When, uh, Rich went home because he's very protective of his saber. Pete, sum up the two Dutch girls in only two words, please. Foxy birds. I recollect, well, I don't, you told me, but uh, they took a photo of my Star Wars Forum UK t-shirt, but I, I noticed they haven't joined the forum yet. No, I was talking them into, I told them they have to listen to the podcast, and they were photographing your shirt. Girls, yeah. thanks, thanks for listening. Well, with Stu collapsed on the floor, we got two hours sleep. Who enjoyed breakfast? Oh, our breakfast was legendary. That's probably the best breakfast I've ever had in a hostel. I think, what was it? We had to get in a queue with students uh, and scrubby-looking blokes and wait for about half an hour just so we, we could access a freshly-baked loaf 
and get a couple of bits of bread and then attach cheese to it. That was breakfast. <laughs> I've never seen Grant look more disappointed I, in all of his life. I would just like to say I was at the back of the queue, okay, for breakfast, and by the time I got there, there was a piece of bread left, but no plates, and I had to go and wash a coffee cup up in his kitchen, and he asked me what I was doing, and when I came through, the coffee had run out as well. So uh, I had now. <laughs> awesome breakfasts. That was the worst breakfast ever, of all time. Anyway, on to day two of the convention. I'm going to struggle here a bit because I spent most of the time in the back of Stu's car reading a Belgian magazine from Tim. Pete, your moment had finally arrived. The princess, oh. fresh from oh. episode seven. Was she what you remembered four times a day back in your teens? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's only like two days, two times a day now. I'm old. But no, the, the six hours of queuing was worth it. It, ha- it had to be said. Even though we thought we'd missed out on our, our, um, our chance when Richard decided to tell us the queue was over when we got to the front. Um, as we were walking out, they started letting people in. So thankfully to the lovely Belgian people, they let us back into the queue. Otherwise, we would have pummeled Richard to death for preventing us getting it. But no, it was, it was awesome. It was like meeting a, I don't know, a real celebrity. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, this it doesn't get any bigger than this. I mean, I think only... For me, meeting George Lucas and maybe Harrison Ford would be a bigger deal. So it was pretty special. I didn't know what to say. Stu was cheeky, though. Stu was trying to try it on with her manager husband. It was a great convention, and I really enjoyed doing the family trip with you guys. I really look forward to the next. Any last thoughts, Rich? I'm just so glad I went. It was a, it was a hell of a long drive. Um, I have no recollection of the ferry on the way there. Um, <laughs> I do have some recollection of the ferry on the way back, because I think we had about five hours sleep. But no, it was a great time, um, and it was good meeting um, our European friends like Dennis. Um, oh, Dennis, yes, of course. Yep. <laughs> T- obviously, the TK421 guys, um, Tim Vakoven and his, um, his mates. And um, it's, it's all about networking, isn't it? So, really enjoyed it. Any final thoughts, Pete? Oh, man, it's just, there was so much drink and so much non- non-sleeping. I don't know if I've ever slept <laughs> during a weekend before, but uh, it was all worth it. And more femme troopers. Well, by you, Stu. Uh, yeah, more femme troopers for sure. I think Stu would like that. Yeah, a lot more, yeah. All rubbed over my face. Um, I had a great, great weekend. I think it was um, the bonding with you boys more than anything. I think it was uh, hey. good fun. I do, I do, well, the, you know, I know you just mentioned I slept on the floor. Um, I fell over my shoe as we went into the hostel and obviously fell instantly to sleep on a dirty hostel wooden floor and Pete had to step over me to get into his bed and didn't get me up. No, I just kicked you. So get out of the So way. we're bonding. And the other thing I suppose that really sticks in my mind about that trip is the next morning, I think we've been in bed for two hours, Richard's sitting on the edge of his bed going, oh, it's good this European beer doesn't give you a hangover. And uh, my head felt like I got an axe through the middle of it. And I was thinking, what is going on about? But uh, br- really a brilliant weekend with you boys, yeah. Just a shame Ben wasn't there. And don't forget, Grant, Grant and, his, and his usual powers of persuasion, persuading me to get to book tickets to Anaheim with what about a, t- a two-hour conversation about, you've got to go to Anaheim, you've got to go to Anaheim, you've got to go And I've really done it. He has some mind control powers. Now or never, this is not a dress rehearsal, mate. We are living life now. Let's go. Abs- no, absolutely. But now I booked it, so it, it worked. One final thing I want to say on it. It was a great time. Uh, but, guys, we've got to sort this out or hire a new member of the podcast. From now on, we have to record before alcohol because we're never going to get it done otherwise. <laughs> Deal? Deal. Yeah. Okay, let's try our best. We are very messy, isn't it? Aren't we after drinking? 
Just moving on, um, I managed to go to Cardiff Film and Comic Con last weekend. I don't really want to go into, you know, what was going on there. There was a bit of vintage stuff. What I did have was a great conversation with uh, Gerald Holm, who played Squidhead. Uh, I've got a question for you about Gerald Holm, who plays Squidhead. Okay, mate? Uh, that is, what other character did he play in Return of the Jedi? Any ideas? I don't know. Yeah, it's not an easy one, this one, mate. It was actually a Mon Calamari officer, but I'll leave you off this one. What else is he famous for? The guy who Squidhead, Gerald Holm, he did, he did another video that he's famous for, non-Star Wars. The Mr. Muscle he, uh, That's right, Rich. Well done. He was Mr. Muscle, if you guys can remember that. Um, I had a great conversation with Gerald Holm. He wants to come on the podcast. So I thought maybe I could get him on and talk about what happens behind the scenes at these autograph conventions. How do the actors get into it? And what happens on the circuit? How are prices and photographs made? It might be worth it. He seems like such a nice guy, and I'd be quite interested, you know, to find out what happens behind the scenes there and what it's like on the circuit and all the different conventions and meeting the fans and the other actors who are in the films and, and just have a ch- chat to him. Maybe it's a way of filling up uh, an oddball section in the future. Pete, uh, you, you knew of uh, something that went down at a convention. Tell us about it, mate. Yeah, when we were in Belgium, there was a, my hometown, Leamington, had its first ever Comic-Con. Uh, it's a bit of a shame, really, because I, I kind of uh, put some money towards it in, in one of those Kickstarter projects, uh, or Indiegogo projects. And, uh, I mean, it, was, it was, wasn't really much Star Wars stuff, but um, they had, did have a costume competition or a cosplay competition. And the little... Uh, they had a junior competition, and the lad who won it, his dad made this amazing um, snow trooper costume for his son. You can see it on Facebook somewhere. I'll try and post a picture up. But th- this is the lad who bought a bunch of stuff off me at a car boot sale. He, he basically bought some Star Wars stuff. They, they refused to take away for free my dancing Jar Jar Binks toy and actually gave me money for it. I think I posted that on the forum a while back. But I also gave him a few Star Wars cars as well. Uh, some tops cards I had lying around, which he, he thought was the best thing ever. But this family is Star Wars mad, and it was just great to see. I mean, and seriously, this costume is amazing. It, it's for a little kid. He must have about probably eight or nine years old, I think. But, um, yeah, I'll post pictures. But it was just great to see someone who was so much into Star Wars getting a nice reward to actually win that competition. But hopefully they do it again next year, and I can actually attend this one. But uh, it was nice to see my hometown actually do something science fiction-wise. So anyway, finishing off the event section, we only have a few events left at the end of the year, so I'm just going to briefly go through them. Uh, Sci-Fi Fest, Fleet and Air Museum, Yorvalton, November 29th. Ipswich Mastercon, 29th at Ipswich Town Hall. Wales Comic Con, Glindu University, November 30th. Christmas Fair with a Twist on 6th of December at the Eden Centre in Edenbridge. Wigan Comic Con at Robin Park Sports Centre, December 7th. And finally, Fathers from Seven will which has been announced as a two-day event this time. These, get these dates in your diary, December 13th and 14th. We're really looking forward to that. Drop us a line if you think it would be a good idea to expand into European conventions or any of the American conventions. And if you know of any conventions going on, please drop us a line, swfukpodcast at gmail.com. This is the SWF UK podcast brought to you in association with Star Wars Forum UK, a wretched hive of scum and villainy.
Now on to this month's Forum Roundup. On last month's Forum Roundup, we spoke to David Moss about his What's in the Box thread, and I've been privileged to be able to speak with him again, as since the last podcast, he has had the box x-rayed, and now has the results. So this is what he had to say in our follow-up chat. All welcome now back to the show, David Moss. Good evening, David. Good evening. How are you doing? Not too bad. We had David on last month's show regarding his What's in the Box thread on the forum. Um, he was getting a white mailer box scanned to see what was in it. David, could you give us a refresh of the actual story? Yeah, sure thing. It, well, it was a box I'd picked up off eBay a few years ago. It was one of those boxes that I, at the beginning of the week, I'd bid very low prices on a whole lot of auctions, and I just happened to win this for, you know, a fiver. Uh, but it was still sealed, didn't know what was in it. It was clearly a Star Wars mail-away figure, but, you know, no information on it. And um, it just been sat in my collection for you know, five or more years, not not really doing anything. So I thought I'd uh, do a video on my Toy Polloi uh, YouTube channel to see if anyone could help me, you know, work out what was in this box. And it had been up, the video had been up there for a good few months. And out of the blue, uh, a guy called Rob Berman from the Collector's Gazette got in touch saying he wanted to help. And uh, he emailed Nottingham University, who just by pure chance, have a new department with a special 3D X-ray machine, and they said they'd do it for free. So uh, I sent it off to them. Wonderful. Now, this has been scanned a, f- a few weeks back now? Yeah, it was, it was uh, sort of uh, middle of October they scanned it, and, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was uh, I don't know, it's, it, it just seemed to go a little bit crazy. Uh, it, the news got involved and all sorts of things, and I ended up doing a few radio interviews, and it was featured on the BBC website, um, so yeah, just just all blew up. BBC Radio Nottingham were actually at the uh, scan, weren't they? That's right. Yeah, they they sent someone they sent someone there to do a sort of outside broadcast, and they had uh, uh, Rob Berman from the Collectors Gazette there, the outside broadcast man, and they had me live on the phone as well. So they revealed to me, sort of, you know, as soon as they knew, they revealed to me what it was, and you know, got my my live uh, feedback, I suppose, <laughs> and. Uh, I know on the last podcast week you mentioned that Collector Holics had been interested. Was there anything followed up with that? Yeah, I'm doing. I am doing some stuff for for them, but uh, I, I can't speak about that at the moment. But uh, there's a new series coming next year, which I, I, I will be part of. Oh well, watch the space with that. Sounds yeah, exactly. It's quite exciting. It's been quite an interesting few weeks. Right. So I'm sure a lot of people have obviously read the thread and seen the images. But can you reveal to us what was in your box? It it was a Palpatine. It was the Emperor. It was not the most amazing figure, but it, you know, it was. Uh, I think the journey to find out finding out what was in there is worth far more than you know the figure that's actually there. Um, so yeah, not the most amazing figure, but an incredibly fun sort of few weeks of my life. Yeah, like you say, the um, the journey seemed to capture people's imaginations, didn't it? At the end of the day, it didn't really matter what was in it, did it? Uh, no, it's, exactly. It's you know, for something that cost me five quid, it, it's I've had more than five pounds worth of fun out of it. And actually, uh, someone on the forum has already offered me fifty pounds for it just because of the uh, the backstory. But unfortunately, I'm not going to sell it at the moment. I'm uh, I'm waiting for a three D file to be sent to me uh, from uh, Nottingham University. I'm going to get it printed out so I can have a printed out version of what is in the box, but without actually opening the box. Well, the the images are actually quite incredible, aren't they? Yeah, it's a fantastic, the, the equipment they have there is amazing. It, it takes multiple x-rays, uh, you know, of whatever item they put in, it turns it slightly. And so you end up with a perfect 3D image uh, with, 
incredible fine detail, so much so that you can see imperfections and sort of bubbles within inside the moulding of the plastic. So it's an incredible bit of equipment. Was the figure in a baggie? Couldn't see the baggie, and you couldn't actually see the uh, the uh, offer, not the offer, you know, the sort of little booklet uh, thing. You couldn't see that, but you could clearly see the writing on the back of his leg and, uh, you know, his cane as well. It was, you know, everything else was sort of perfectly detailed there. I think the, the cardboard, obviously, box they could see, but uh, the paper didn't seem to come out that well. Oh, right, so uh, it's still a bit of mystery to the box then. This, I think there is a, a leaflet in there. I think you could just about make out the uh, the staples of it, but, you know, as to what leaflet it is, it's a Jedi one, I would guess, but, you know. <laughs> um, so what uh, what happens to this box now? What are you What are your plans for it? Well, it was it was returned to me by uh, by post. The guy I sent it to was was sort of worried about keeping it for too long, so it's now just sitting back in my collection on a shelf in my room. Yeah, I think that's where it will stay because uh, the story is is far more important than actually the box. So, what's your next uh, big reveal? You got anything else in the pipeline? Do you know? I have an idea at the moment. I've I have a copy of the Star Wars novel that has a guy's. Well, it's a child's name and the first line of an address in it, and I was I was thinking I might try and return it to him. Well, I've subscribed to Toy Ploy, and you do quite a quite a lot on on YouTube, don't you? Can you tell the listeners what else, what other kind of things they would uh, be watching if they were to subscribe to you? Yeah, I like it. Well, I sort of I try and review old old toys, not the not the sort of more common stuff, you know, like the style stuff. I do uh, lots of uh, like sort of Dungeons and Dragons by LJN and uh, Fisher Price figures and stuff like that. I also repair and mend old toys, which I know is some people don't like, uh, you know, the fact that people restore old toys. But a lot of these toys are so past it, it doesn't really matter. You're taking something that's been played with and loved, giving it a new lease of life. So I do a bit of sort of fixing of old stuff and, um, yeah, just general vintage toys from my childhood. And that's Toy Polloi, isn't it, on YouTube? Yeah, Toy Polloi, as in Hoi Polloi, so P-O-L-L-O-I. And you're also on Twitter, aren't you, if anyone wants to follow that, isn't it? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. It's uh, toy underscore Polloi. Uh, and I'm also, I have a Facebook page, but, uh, you know, you can find me anywhere. Ah, well, wonderful. It certainly has been an interesting couple of months following your story and this uh, little mailer box. It certainly has. It's not something I would want to do again, I think. It's uh, spent an awful lot of time talking to people on radio stations, but it's still, you know, quite good fun. <laughs> well, I'm glad you've had to had a bit of fame through it. Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah. Um, David, thank you ever so much for your time over the last couple of podcasts. Uh, we've really enjoyed uh, watching your journey with that box. No problem. Thanks for, for talking to me. So thank you ever so much to David Moss once again. As you heard, it turned out to be the common old emperor. And last month, all five of us here on the podcast, we all had a little guess. And Grant hedged his bets with the most common one. And he's the winner. Well done, Grant. So, on to this month's threads. Rich, what have you been looking at? The article I'm looking at this month from the SWCA blog is entitled Did Star Wars Kill the LP Logo? Now, the LP Logo appeared on Kenner Products way back in 1975 and it was a reassurance to parents that the toys were quality and they'd been thoroughly tested, hence the, the long playing mark. And I don't know about you guys, but I've got some idea in the back of my head of loads of little Ewok kind of midgets playing with these toys for for days and days trying to, you know, break them, bash them about, etc, etc. Uh, I just, I can't see kids sitting playing with these toys for some reason, which I don't know, perhaps that's just me. Can a catalogue of toys from 1975 had a more detailed explanation as to what the LP logo meant? And it was obviously all about, you know, our our toys are quality, 
perhaps it was the big American thing at the time, you know, um, American stuff is good quality stuff, buying, you know, imports from the Oriental. I, I don't know, I don't know what American um, toy merchandise was like back then, but um, it was quite the quite a hefty article in the kind of catalogue. Uh, there were four or five paragraphs um, explaining about, you know, our toys are fun, they are safe, they are reliable, it's quality seal, high quality workmanship. You know, there was stress in the fact that it was a quality American product. As I was looking at the catalogue, though, the index for other items is quite funny. You've got things in there such as a $6 million man, which you would expect the $6 million line to have the LP logo on because they class that as a toy. But other things in that catalogue are things like the Snoopy toothbrush, a Goofy Walker, whatever the hell one of those is. Uh, yeah, there's the Kitty Fondue site. Um, the Family Tree House, the Flintstones toothbrush. There's quite a lot of products in there that you wouldn't class as toys. So I just spent a few uh, minutes having a look to see if I could find boxes of those items because it would be interesting to see if the LP logo was actually on a toothbrush. Sadly, I couldn't find any at all. I found the Snoopy toothbrush, and I've seen plenty of pictures of the boxes, but it didn't have the LP logo on. I just had in the back of my mind that some kid might have been furiously scrubbing his teeth with this toothbrush to prove that it was uh, a quality product and thus getting the LP logo on it. So, in 1978, and hence the title of the, of the article, Did Star Wars Kill the LP Logo? In 1978, the logo was removed, and there was never really a reason given as to why that uh, logo was gone. It's been hypothesised that the reason for this was that Kenner was getting embarrassed because the quality of the Star Wars products really wasn't that good. I'm not so sure about this myself, I probably think it's more of a possible financial cost to them. I don't know, but obviously there could have been instances of parents going back to Kenner stores, going back to shops in America and saying, you know, look at this, this land that the Jaguars playset is broken. I've only had it a couple of months and on the box here it's marked as an LP quality product. Therefore, you know, I want my money back because it's obviously not fit for purpose. In the UK, I believe the Sales of Goods Act from 1979 came out, um, and I'm assuming that the Americans would have some kind of similar legislation over there. So I wonder if something happened in the late 70s that also made, can I book the idea or something, okay, we better stop basically saying that this is a really, really quality product and it stands the time and kids can test this as much as they want um, and it's, it's not going to break, etc., etc. You know, they've, they've made a decision to remove the logo perhaps for financial reasons. Has anybody got any uh, comments on that? No, well, I was going to say, the first thing I thought about when you were describing your uh, Ewoks playtesting their long play products to see if they withstood the uh, withstood the abuse that they give them, um, I just had this image of Stuart in his garage arranging his collection on the very low shelves. Yeah, that, that might be an idea. Perhaps um, Stuart, you got any American descendants at all? Yeah, that, that 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 could be an idea. I imagine lots of lots of little stews running around playing playing with toys. Yeah, good call, Ben. Um, so anyway, moving on further down in that article, Ron Salvatore, who wrote the article, he put on there um, what he sees as the three poorest products. Now, without checking, because that'd be cheating. What I'd like to ask each of you in turn is if you had to name the poorest quality Star Wars product. Okay, that if you had as a child, you may have had it, you may not have had it, but from what you know now, if you had as a child, what would you have destroyed first? What do you think the poorest quality product is? We'll start with Pete, because I think you're too only a lot of time for thinking. 
I think anything that was made of cardboard would get destroyed because most of my Star Wars toys ended up outside at some stage. So if I'd have had the Death Star set, I, it would have probably kind of ended up either being things pasted onto it, uh, graffitied by my brother, which is probably very likely, or it would have just been bits of it would have ended up outside and in the in the garden and uh, in various hoth locations which when it snowed which was often the case so uh yeah any any of the carnival sets would have just not lasted in my book yeah good shout that closely matches what one suggested was the number one the number one item not that these are in order it just says one two and three but it was the land of the jawas player set which is obviously um has, has a lot of cardboard in it Okay, uh, Stu? I have to agree. My, my brother had a Palatoid Death Star growing up, and by the time I was five, it was gone. Done. Just n- no last ability in that at all. That's why I, it's nice to get my hands on one recently, but anything cardboard, I agree with Pete. So I bet you're kicking yourself now, thinking that you already had one as a kid, and you've probably spent, what, two, two and a half hundred mm-hmm. on <laughs> another one that some of our kids looked after better. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I was just saying, it was, they were well played with, but they weren't made to last, those cardboard things. No. And actually, I remember back to CE2 where um, there was an in, in a international collector's panel and James Burns was saying that uh, he was in talks with Hasbro about which vintage item that they should bring back that they haven't done. And he suggested the Palatoy playset mainly because it was so cheap and, and Hasbro would have made a kill in selling them. But the first thing I thought was, yeah, they haven't brought it back because at the end of the day, it didn't last. I, I, I can't see it being a seller. If Hasbro did bring back a cardboard playset, I think on Hayden and nothing, they, they would have to improve it. Ben? Yeah, I can think of a couple here. Um, the first one that I was sort of thinking about, and there's probably a few other examples similar, but the vehicle maintenance energizer. Um, and the reason is not because it's easy to break, but because it, it's full of tiny little accessories that go with it and as a child being given that and all the little spanners and things that are supposed to hang on the side of it and that within about five minutes i reckon they'd be down between floorboards all over the place basically the the whole thing gone and all you're left with is a is uh, the bloody maintenance energizer itself which is not much fun the other one i'd go with would be the um, any of the lightsabers, to be honest with you, any of the um, like the inflatable lightsabers or any of the other lightsaber lightsaber toys, because basically what's going to happen with them, you're going to give them to your kids and they're basically going to start smashing them against each other. So that's basically a recipe for something that's going to last about five minutes. And they were so shoddily made anyway that whacking, whacking them against each other, uh, you can see them being uh, being gone in seconds. And I suppose the punch bags as well, the inflatable punch bags, were probably not uh, not going to stand up to much abuse. Yeah, three great shows here. Actually, number two on Ron's list was the inflatable lightsaber. I thought you were going to actually mention one of the things I was thinking of, because for me, it's the lightsabers that came with the, the Vader and the Ben and the Luke. I don't know when you were children, but when I was a kid, I would, you know, belt them off each other and, you know, have mock sword fights between the two figures and obviously there's so many of those that have snapped tips, etc, etc. They, they, they weren't great quality and I just can't imagine playing with a TT saber. How flimsy those are, you know, just very, very, very poor quality, so good, good shout on that one. The punch bag, yeah, I mean, even today my kids, between them, I must have had 15 paddling pools, 
because they, they just don't last. Anything that you've got to inflate is not going to last uh, two minutes. Going, going back to lightsaber, I didn't have a one as a kid that I remember, but <laughs> I remember getting a broomstick handle and painting the, the hilt silver and wrapping probably insulation tape or some kind of tape on the other end of it and beating the living daylight out of my sister with it because I was, I was three years older than she was so she couldn't defend herself but I think I may have given her something to hold I just remember absolutely breathing the hell out of her I was, I was, I was smacking her happy out. days in yeah, the northern world beating fun. up your sister with a stick all amazing good, good times I may have actually called it the battle stick what you're saying is basically you've got a broom handle, you painted the end of it red, and then beat your sister up with it and said, I'm yeah. reenacting Star Wars now. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yes. yeah, yeah, that was it. Okay. Do you speak to your sister now, Rich? Or, uh, uh, we're not close, but I'm not quite sure what that is. Um, yeah, amazing, yeah. that really. Yeah. It's incredible what the dentist can do these days when you're missing <laughs> teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the third item that was on Ron's list, which I thought Pete would have actually mentioned, was um, the sonic control stuff. Uh, the land speeder and the, the Jarson Cola, you know, about that being uh, poor quality. I never had either of those, but Pete's already covered the fact that they, they, they were pretty naff, um, and they did break fairly easily. I think um, they were broken to start off with, Rich. I mean, those sonic <laughs> just didn't work in the first place, did they? Yeah. They were just rubbish. Broken in the box. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, they pretty much were. They just, just, just failed technology, so... Uh... Yeah, but, I mean it's a bit, a bit unfair on the uh, <laughs> on the on the device because they were nice little pieces. Yeah. But and the, the final one that I'm going to add in are the wings on the tie vehicles. You know when you pop the wings off, mm. they didn't seem to last two minutes. And if you didn't push them back in again at exactly the right angle, um, the small little plastic, fl- I don't know what they're called, the locator pins, they these just snap off fairly easily. But I don't know. I think it's a bit unfair to say that the, the Star Wars products were poor quality because. You know, in the main, the, the the amount that you were played with compared with other toys at the time, like Transformers, everything I had of Transformers was broken instantly. But the hours and hours and, well, years and years that I played with Star Wars toys and some of them still lasted. So, you know, f- fair play to them. But I don't, think to- I don't think toys do last, though, do I? I mean, you look at even today's toys, I mean, some, some of the stuff does hang on for a while, but it gets played with. Kids do all sorts of stupid things with the toys, you know, throw them around dip them in paint pots and all this sort of crazy stuff. They're, they're not really designed to last. They're designed to, to last for a certain amount of time, get played with, they get destroyed. I mean, I look at my little nephew's toys, and they're, they're just all over the shop. Um, you know, and that's what started. I doubt very much Star Wars toys were designed to last for more than about two or three years. That's why uh, we do see so many wonderful beta figures. that They were they were beautiful, played-with items. So um, I'm not really sure that they, they were like... They were, they were really designed with um, crazy yeah. old men collecting them when they're 40. Yeah, it's a good shout that, Peter. Actually, you've just reminded us of something. I think it was Kevin Lentz. He contacted Kenner because he had a... Oh, what did he have again? I think he had a Wampa, and it was starting to yellow. So he contacted Kenner, and, and um, I don't think he complained about it, obviously, but he he, he just you know let them know the fact that it was yellow, and they basically laughed him off by saying... You contacted us ten years after this item was for sale in shops. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, 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 you're right; they were not designed to last. Simple as. Yes, good point, sir. So the final thread then that we've been looking at has been looked at by Ben Benji. Okay, this month the thread that I've been given to look at is uh, entitled "Let's Get Yub Nub Number One for Christmas." 
and was started by our own Boba Skinner. Uh, basically, the gist of this is that uh, four clowns went off to Belgium in a car to go to Fax and had two or three pints of Stella Artois each. And one of their brilliant ideas that they came up with off the back of this was to try and take on the establishment and get a predetermined track to number one for Christmas. And what they thought would be great would be to try and get the track Ewok Celebration, uh, a.k.a. Yubnub, off of the Return of the Jedi album, uh, try and basically push it so that um, they could get enough sales to try and get a Christmas number one and obviously take on the mighty X Factor for their coveted Christmas number one spot. So quite a few people seem to be on board with this idea, but I must admit I'm not entirely convinced yet by it. So Stu, since you started this, Fred, do you want to tell us a little bit about the idea behind it? It was Grant's idea, actually. He, um, and in that, fairness, that doesn't surprise me, I'll be honest. In fairness, we weren't drunk. It was on the journey home on the boat that he, uh, he came up with this great idea. But, um, you know, people on the forum has got to push it to get people they know to buy it, haven't they? It's not just got to be the Star Wars people. It's got to be pushed and pushed and pushed. But even if it... Well, I think... Yeah, just having Yubnub in the countdown at Christmas, some radio disc jockey having to play Yubnub would be just amazing. I think the key to something like this is going to be to try and make it go viral, which is perhaps where we and the forum will come in. So I think you've already got ideas of setting up a Facebook group, haven't you? Well, I've already started that, but we have hit a bit of a problem. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about this? It's not a bit of a problem, is it, Stuart? It's 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 like saying that the uh, the iceberg was a little bit of a problem for the Titanic. <laughs> I set, set the uh, Facebook page up, which I've at the moment is back off <laughs> offline. But I went to put the link to the iTunes for the song, and it's not on iTunes. Return of the Jedi is the only soundtrack from the six Star Wars films that is not on there. But it was at one point, so I'm hoping they are going to um, put it back up very, very quickly. I and that Simon Cowell hasn't got all the rights to uh, the album. Yeah. <laughs> he must have uh, heard about your campaign and is terrified. There's, there's other okay. versions of it um, by other orchestras, but they don't have, they've got the music, but they don't have the Yub Nub singing bit. Wouldn't be Christmas without Yub Nub. <laughs> there's no point. So it's either a matter of... Um, Picking another song from Star Wars or recording you singing Yub Nub. Yeah, I think we might have to pick another song from Star Wars. <laughs> so basically, the Fred is there to be to be looked at, but very very soon, and I think you'll probably add to the Fred, won't you, Stuart? When you've uh, when we've sorted this out. Yeah. But we we'll come up with an alternative, and we'll be linking it through the Facebook page, and we're going to do our best to try and get this thing viral and see if we can't push getting this song, at least in the charts for Christmas. Um, I think we've already got Jedi News giving us a little bit of support on this one, so we'll see how many of the other websites or the other Twitter users we can we can try and get on board and get the forum behind it and see if we can uh, have a little bit of fun this Christmas. There are lots of um, cheesy disco tunes with Star Wars-related music by an artist or group or whatever you want to call him called Mecco. I think it's worth. I think we should, we should go with something from there because it's an artist which has been around. He, he's got a reasonable following, and um, and he really has translated 
Star Wars into a disco album. So I think it should, it should be something from there rather than rather than, than a tune from the film, which could be seen as a bit, you know, a bit long. I think it, it's got to be something that, that is, is definitely irritating to uh, everyone else on the planet when it comes up against the X Factor number one. So uh, I think we should definitely look at that album and choose some from there. I know that Ben's been pushing that bit of rave music we had for his LA thread a couple of months ago. No, yeah, Ben has Definitely good call. Yeah, I think, I think if, if it gets number one, then Ben should be on the front cover of the uh, the single that we uh, produce. Well, we need to choose something that's going to have a realistic chance of selling more than three. So um, I think we probably rule that one out, but maybe look at the disco, the funky disco tunes. Maybe we put together a little a little selection and get people to vote on it. Don't give people choice. No, just pick one and go with it. We'll pick. We'll pick one. We'll pick one. We'll link it on the Facebook page and we'll try and we'll try and push it to get a bit of Star Wars at uh, on the Christmas charts. What's on there, Stu? What's on there? What's on the disco tune? To, to be honest with you, I quite like the original Mecco, the actual Star Wars tune, which they yeah. which was the first one they did, which was probably um, their most iconic song. Does it have yubnubs in it? No, I'm afraid not. Need a bit of yubnub. Maybe, maybe that could be um, a B side. <laughs> you still get B sides. I don't know. I think B sides died, haven't they? I sometimes turn my CD over, but it never works. True story about CDs. When I first had CDs, uh, they were getting badly scratched, and I could not understand it. And I remember seeing to my girlfriend, "Look at these CDs of rubbish. Look how bad, badly damaged they are." And we just couldn't understand it, every single CD, until eventually we figured out that my daughter used to sellotape them to her feet and, and go CD skating on the laminate flooring in the house. We and were just, so poor for entertainment. <laughs> and we'd sellotape CDs to our feet and go yeah. across ice. Now, there's got to be partial genius in that, but it was just, I just saw her go flying across the floor one day, and what the hell was that? She said, I'm skating on the floor, and I looked, and she had set CD, sell tape, The simple times, the northern folk, for entertainment, they strapped discs and had so much fun. <laughs> what else did you did, did you put a little, did you put maybe a, <laughs> a sandwich carton on your back, pretend you were a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle as well? Well, it, it gives a new meaning, a new meaning to slipped discs, like, doesn't it? Now, I used to chase some of the, <laughs> I used to chase some of the broom handle, apparently. So since this has been recorded, um, sadly we will not be able to get Yubnub to number one because it is not on iTunes as previously said. So we have decided to go with the song that used to be on Christmas in the Stars which came out in 77, 78, 79, somewhere around about there which was called R2D2 We Wish You a Merry Christmas which is actually still on iTunes to buy. So uh, we will be putting up more details on that very, very soon. Please, please, please support it and purchase it for 79p. See if we can get some Star Wars music into the UK Top 40. So that is this month's Forum Roundup. Roundup! Now over to Rich for this month's Boom Story.
Well, for this month's Boom Story, um, it's been very coincidental that there's threads on um, Star Wars Forum UK, threads on Joe's Trilogo Info Forum, and threads on Rebel Scum all popping up at the same time, talking about the ridiculous prices that we're seeing at the moment. So my Boom Story was initially titled, Are UK Sellers Driving Up Prices? Um, and that's what I'm going to mainly focus on, but obviously it can be opened up now to um, our dealers in general driving up Star Wars prices. Now, I've mentioned this a couple of times, going back about a year and a half now, I was after an Imperial shuttle, and quite a few guys on Star Wars Formula UK had them for sale, and they were all quoting me £200. So I just assumed that £200 was the selling price, and I, I couldn't justify spending that amount of money on Imperial shuttle back then. So I saw one for sale on Rebel Scum, and I worked it out with import and posting packaging and all that kind of stuff. It was going to come to about £140. So I snapped the guy's hand clean off and said, yep, I'll have it. And he seemed quite surprised that he made that amount of money from it. From the conversations that I've had with PMs with him, he was kind of like, um, oh yeah, I noticed your, your guys over there are selling things like for crazy prices and we can't get away with that over here. So a, a lot of items I've been purchasing have been coming from America. It, it's been cheaper for me to buy from America and pay all of the imports and the, and the postage packing than it has been buying stuff even on eBay UK. So I've been watching quite a lot of um, threads and, you know, some uh, loose figures appearing on the forum. You, you see them for £8 and £9. You don't think much of it until you start looking for things like the yak faces and the R2 pop-up savers, etc., etc. It came to a head, I suppose, when that R2 pop-up saver appeared. Uh, loose one sold for £265, which is ab- I just can't get my head around it. It's absolutely ridiculous. And when I went back and had a look at some of the uh, recent for sale threads, you can see items on there that, you know, just even just recently have been half the price that they, they're going for sale now. And you can go on any of the forums, um, Star Wars Forum UK or Rebel Scum, and you'll see these huge for sale threads with stocks just sitting there. You know, the, the prices are too high and, and people are just not buying them. And I, I've PM'd a lot of the sellers and, and I've said to them, look, you're not going to sell at those prices. And that you often come back with two responses. Response one will be, oh, but I've checked eBay out and a couple of them are sold on eBay for this amount, so therefore I'm just going to sit and wait until I sell mine for that amount. And other guys have said, well, yeah, but I, I bought them, I had to search for them, and I had to pay for postage packaging to get them from America into this country. Therefore, I'm entitled to charge that, and I may have got them graded, so I'm entitled to charge a bit extra for the grading, but then I've had to take time out to talk to the guys at the graders, etc., etc., and, and that's why they're trying to justify their prices. And, and I, I think that's not working. And it's, it's getting to the point now where everybody's fed, fed up. I don't care. I absolutely do not care if two pop-up savers have sold on eBay recently for closer to £250. That is not the price of a pop-up saver. I can go on to eBay any, at any time. Um, I've seen five for sale in the last week, carded ones for 130 quid. So if I can buy an R2 pop-up saber carded for 130 quid, you've got no chance coming on a forum and seeing £250 are going away for one of these because I've seen two on eBay. I think it's just ludicrous. Um, one of the things that completely confuses me about prices is this uh, idea that grading automatically allows you to double and triple your money. So if you have a Klaatu, a 65-back Klaatu, Palitoy figure, in which there are shipping cases probably out there full of these, I mean, I went to London Film and Comic Con, and the only kind of figures they had was five Palitoy Klaatus. 
So it's worth, what, £20-25 maximum for a mint Klaatu figure. You then get it graded, and all of a sudden you can slap 100 and £150 on it. I don't get that. That's, that, that's what I was saying. I didn't want this to be an AFA thing because it's much bigger than AFA, but I totally agree with you. You've got guys who are buying carded figures, sending them off to AFA, and instead of charging the actual amount it's cost them, they're trying to justify it by saying, oh, but I've had to take time out of me busy life to send an email, to, to wrap the box, etc., etc., therefore I'm entitled to charge that time back. Could you get a Klaatu for £25? You send off, you get it graded, that's £40, £45, mm-hmm. and add maybe £10, £15, £20 pounds of profit on that, rather than £100 worth of profit. I mean, this is completely ludicrous. I'd be embarrassed to put a sale up like that, I've got to be honest with you. I agree with you. I think um, the, the sellers in that kind of situation really need to think about what they're doing. You've got, I mean, everybody's favourite douchebag on Revelscum, who has, um, you know, revolving sales threads. It's it's just ludicrous what he's doing, buying these corded items and then trying to say that it's one it's one off in the world. It's you know it's only one of two that's known to exist. Therefore, I'm going to, you know, justify my three grand page tag. Yeah, well that's fine, do that. But you're going to be sitting there forever and a day, um, waiting until that's sold. And I think it's come to a point now where we're so fed up, we're just going to say, no, we're not paying it. You know, we're just not paying it. Another justification that I've had, people are buying stuff from America and they're buying it in dollars, but then they're listing the exact same price in pounds. Well, I'm sorry, that's not going to work either. We know where you're buying your stuff from. Um, we've seen them for sale on Webberscum. We've seen them for sale on um, the US eBay. We know how much you bought it. We know how much things cost to ship them over. So don't try and make mugs of us. You know, if you buy something for $200 and it's cost you $200, don't whack it on our form for 200 quid. You know, because that, that's absolutely outrageous. We have also to remember, though, that, that not everyone's a collector. I mean, people are selling this stuff because they're, they want to make money and they've got this stuff. So they think there's a market there. They'll come on and, and, they, and they'll try it on. So, I mean, you know, as someone who sells in other, in other areas, not in collecting stuff, but in, in buying and selling, you go where the market is. So it's going to happen, I'm afraid. I mean, I can't get too angry about it, but I understand from the point of view of people trying to, trying to you know, push up prices by I mean, the whole grading thing, just, just ridiculous. But Pete, um, you we're talking not like earning 20, 30 quid a card of figure. We're talking 400%. Yeah, absolutely. But they'll, they'll try it on. But like Rich said, all that's always going to happen is people just aren't going to buy it and they're going to waste everyone's time and then have to bring it down or, or get bitter about it and they'll, they'll do something stupid, um, which I hope they don't. But, uh, I mean, as long as everyone stays firm and doesn't buy the ridiculously overpriced stuff, but I bet somewhere someone, someone will. I mean, you've seen it on eBay. Some of the things stuff goes for is just ridiculous, but they must be trying it on because there must be, there must be some kind of market out there for this stuff. Yeah, I, I've got no problem with capitalism, Pete. You know, I've got no problem with people buying the huge connections, um, taking out the bits that they want, and then putting markups on every other item to cover their costs, and then to make a profit on top of that. I've got no problem with that. And good on those, good on the dealers um, who are actually um, doing that and, and running as a business. You know, that's their job. That's fine. I've got no issue with that. But like, take Grant's example there: a twenty-five pound claw too. I've seen some of them for sale for 150 to 200 pound. Absolutely ludicrous. There was a Trilogo Tie Fighter pilot for sale recently as well. Grant, do you know anything about that? Yeah, there's one going for 2,000 pounds because it's got a grade on it, a grade that no other figures got. Yeah, you know, because I, I look out for Tie Fighter pilots. Uh, you can get one almost as good as that 
for maximum 250 quid. There are some there going up towards 500 pounds. But there was one sold early this year, which was a TIE Fighter pilot, Trilogo, which didn't have paint on it for 500 quid. So you got a factory fault in a lovely, you know, C9 condition for 500 pound. Yet some, you've got another one on there now for 2,000 pounds. I mean, it's a joke. It's embarrassing. Yeah, it is embarrassing. And uh, what I'm liking it to, remember when we had those petrol strikes, or must be about 10 years ago now? Yeah. And a lot of garages put their prices up, like doubled and tripled the prices. And then as soon as the petrol strikes were over, people stopped going to those garages and, and forced them out of business. I'm liking it to that. Um, and you can blame part of this on tourists and newbies. You know, if a newbie comes into the hobby now, and if they don't do the research properly, and they see something like a Klaatu for 175 quid on sale for a forum. You know, and if they think that's a going price, they'll pay it. But the, these newbies and tourists, you know, they, they'll give up. Where the problem's going to lie, you take that TIE Fighter pilot, some numpty's going to pay two, £3,000 for this TIE Fighter pilot, and then it's going to be stuck with it. Because in a year's time or two years' time, when the bubble bursts, is that person going to accept £500 for it as the going rate? Well, I've got a couple of points to make off the back of this. Um, the first one is with regards to these these graded figures that where they'll get a grade and they'll be like this Tie Fighter pilot. I think it's a, an, an 85, and its its big claim is it's the only 85 that's ever been the only 85 um, grade Tie Fighter pilot in the world. Well, that's rubbish, um, and the reason it's rubbish is because it's the it is the only 85 Tie Fighter pilot graded Trilogo TIE Fighter pilot in the world but it's the only one of that standard that someone has actually sent in to have graded Yeah. and the point I was making is that, that I mean I've got some some um, mint on cards in my collection that I know would grade really highly because they're really really good condition the bubbles are perfect the card backs are immaculate but I'm not ever going to send them off to AFA to be graded so it's it's really a fallacy to think that that's the the greatest condition Trilogo Tie Fighter pilot in the world. It's the greatest condition one that's been through the AFA, rather than the greatest condition one in the world. So anyone that buys into that, it's um it's completely foolish. One thing that I've noticed that's forcing prices up a little bit with regards to these graded figures, um is is when you come to twelve backs, uh, and that's because I think ungraded 12 back mint on cards now are getting quite expensive so you know you're looking at sort of a nice condition one maybe two three four hundred pounds possibly even a bit more and because of the fact that you can get a Klaatu for 25 quid say a return of the jedi Klaatu, people are far less inclined to try and make knockoffs and if you have a look at the forged repro cards there's vastly more repro 12 backs than there are any other figure so maybe with the exception of a few like your Boba Fett's and things like that but people coming into the hobby that want to buy 12 backs that don't really know what they're looking for in terms of reproduction or recards they almost get a little bit cold feet because of the amount of money that a a ungraded mint on card would cost so they tend to go a bit more for graded I think and, and that's where people put a bit of a premium on uh, compared to ungraded figures and those seem to be the ones that certain graded figures don't tend to sell particularly very well unless even if they're very high graded but but 12 backs seem to be something that people heavily rely on 
grading rather than just spending a bit of time looking at genuine card backs and being able to work out for themselves what's real and what's fake. And the last thing I was going to say uh, is the worry for me with, like you say, these R2 Sabres and the amount of money that they're selling for is that people are going to be buying £130, £120 beta cards and taking them off the card because they'll be thinking, oh, I can double my money on this, rip it off the card back, stick it on as a mint example and instantly be able to double my money. And that's something that I'm really hoping that won't happen with these because it's something that seems to be happening to some of the uh, droids figures. Well, it's interesting about the 12-backs because uh, for some reason everyone thinks because they're the first figures out that they're rare, where the 12-backs are in abundance. You could go on to any 20, 21-backs on the Empire Strikes Back figures, Princess Leia on the Return of the Jedi card, are much rarer than a lot of the 12-backs. You know, the, people, people can make the same problems or same, have the same issues when they, they think number, issue number one of a comic is going to be rare, where it's not. That's probably going to be the most produced comic of all. Uh, what, what I find interesting about this uh, debate, Dan, I think Joe brought it up on his on Trilogo Info, was who who is actually buying these? You know, uh, are there investors coming into the market now who are buying these? Are there Disney executives who are buying all the vintage Star Wars figures? Who's actually buying these? I think, Grant, that's, a, that's an interesting point, actually. I was going to bring that up about who is coming in. I think that's what, exactly what's happening. You're getting a lot of people. You know, you're getting people 35 to 45 who haven't really been into getting their Star Wars collections back, who have gone, right, I've got a bit of cash to spend, what should I spend it on? Uh, they've done the car, kids, the house, and they're starting to, to reassemble their Star Wars collection, and they're going in for it. I think, you, I think it's only going to expand. I think we've said this before several times. Um, you'll get more and more people now who are going to start coming into the, into the collecting market. Some people will come in just using eBay. Some will come into a forum like the SWF UK forum and will actually... You know, engage with the community and do it properly, but you will get those lunatics or go right. I've got four grand. I want to, I want to, you know, a Princess Leia twelve back. Oh, that's it. I'll buy that. I'll have, I'll have one of them. And they just go and buy it, and they won't even think about it because they won't. Or, or they might see it on Antiques Roadshow or something, and they just go right. That's what it's worth, and that's what I believe, and they won't do the research on it. So, you will get that bloke to the market. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I think I think Joe brought it up as well because there seems to be such a protest on. Uh, Rebel Scum or Star Wars Forum about the prices and everything, yet someone seems to be buying these. So are the people that are protesting just buying these anyway, or, you know, they must be going somewhere? Yeah, um, good point here, Grant. Um, I'm Pete. I think some of the issues with the protests or are annoying me a bit because they're more focused on the values of their own collection. Um, and I honestly could not give a toss if everybody in the world other than me suddenly decided to stop collecting Star Wars because that still meant that I could have my own collection if it was only worth a tenner after another 10-15 years, so what? Uh, you know, if you spend four grand on a rare corded figure, okay, and it sits in your collection and it's your pride and joy, and then all of a sudden thousands of them are found in a factory in France... You know, so what? You've still got you've still got that beautiful piece, the centerpiece in your collection. You know, and and you, you bought it at the time where four grand was the going rate. And and if the market crash, the market crashes. It doesn't it doesn't affect my my enjoyment of the hobby, and it, and it shouldn't affect most collectors either. Yeah, I think we're fortunate on the forum actually, because a lot of the dealers on there are really really good, and you know, I know that they got to score profit and everything, but. Uh, 
you know, I'd, you know, I always say I always look at Ian's for sale, Fred, especially now that he's in the states, and his prices are always good, and you can tell because you know, ten seconds after he's put his for sale list up, it's all gone. Yeah, that's that's nicely leading into the next bit, actually, Grant. Um, Ian Sanderson, who goes by ITFC Ian, and I'm not going to use a data joke um, that unfunny people use. He's helped keep prices down for quite a long time, uh, and obviously the worry was that when he moved to the states, uh, you'd, you'd have a load of wannabes who would dive, try to dive into his hole um, and flogging their stuff at prices that they might want to, um, to charge that would be inflated. But thankfully, Ian's doing us a, us a favour by keeping his sale threads going and he's offering a, a deal where he's going to bulk sell a huge amount of stuff to um, Jack Avina. Yeah, it might take an extra couple of weeks, but so what? Patience is a key here. If a lot of people buy off Ian to save on postage, he's just going to wrap it all up in one big box and send it off to Jacobina, and then we can pick up stuff from from Neil as and when. So I'm really, really glad that Ian's still still going, and you know now now he's got that bigger market of the states to capture. He can help identify some of these things and sell them to us at, at states prices instead of inflated UK prices. Yeah, I'm just looking for the for sale thread here. Looking at Ian uh, uh, Dinner Squadron two. Uh, Kieran's got a for sale thread up, Jam Bobby Bubub or whatever it is. They're, you know, there's uh, quite a few for sale threads here. Fuzzy Buzzy Toys, and all their prices seem really, you know, really decent, really good. You know, if I had the money, I'd definitely, you know, look at buying some of this stuff. And uh, I just wanted to say, I think we're quite quite fortunate on this forum, actually. Definitely agree with that. Um, you know, there's a lot of good sellers out there. I mean, we've we've bought from all of those names before, but when you've got a really really big seller like Ian. He is pretty much setting the market at a really, really, as, as, as far as we're concerned, a decent price. You know, he, he'll sell a £25 car to for £25. He understands, he realises that that's how much it is. And if at some point car to go to £30, then he'll send them up to £30. But he'll not put them up to £40 or £50 and just take them in. So, what's the solution to this then? Well, I think the solution is patience. That, that's what it's going to come down to. We've all said that we've, we've slowed down, we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll only purchase things when they appear at the right price, and I think a lot more of us need to do that. You need to do research, especially if you're new to the hobby. Don't, don't just look at a couple of items on eBay and think, oh, that £100 a going rate for this, because you, you may have just happened to catch a spike where you've got two or three um, buyers who are after the same item. Go back and have a look at six months' worth of stuff. You know, and, and, and come up with an average price and then try to, you know, check forums. Go to places like um, eBay US. Don't just go to eBay UK. Go to the States as well. And have a look at the prices that's on there and work out with the postage, you know, how much how much are things going to gonna cost. Check all of the for sale threads and stores from UK because often guys have got the same items up for sale. So have a look and um, compare them. And I, I'm, I'm always going to recommend people go and check Rebel Scum and take, have a look at their for sale threads. And perhaps if, you know, one of the big sellers in America is, is selling quite a lot of items, why don't two or three of you team up and, and, and buy the items together as a group and save on the postage? I know I've done that a couple of times with um, with one or two guys from, from the forum. It, it, it all comes down to patience and research. And I think there's quite a few people lately have said part of the hobby is actually going out there and finding things at the right price. I mean, if, if I won the lottery tomorrow and bought everything I wanted, would I enjoy it? Well, damn right I would, but I wouldn't enjoy it as much 
if I, you know, prepared for it, if I researched, if I worked it out, if I got things at the right price, um, I think it would have that longer lasting effect. It's the journey, not the destination. Damn right. Star Wars is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, good one, Grant. Got any lemonade? If you want. Blue milk? Eh? It's what where Gentilly's drinks. Where Gentilly's? Yeah. And he said, if I didn't drink lots of blue milk, when I grow up, I'd only be good enough to post on Rebelscom. Rebelscom? Who are they? Exactly. Get off. Give me some. Get off. Okay, welcome to this month's Oddball section and the final part of our three-parter on original trilogy games from 1982 to 1999. Firstly, a big thank you to Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm who seem to be big fans of our last podcast. Uh, last month we discussed having the X-Wing games back and 13 days after the release of our podcast it was announced that X-Wing and TIE Fighter were getting a digital release. So it's, uh, it's really empowering knowing that we have such a massive influence on Lucasfilm and would like to start some dialogue and maybe get in the original Ewok song, Yub Nub, to Christmas number one. So if you're interested in X-Wing or the TIE Fighter game, go to GOG.com and get yourselves digital copies of the finest Star Wars simulator. I've seen pulse cannons and gladiator droids. I've seen beggars cannon. And Imperial sewers. I've seen dead ends. And infinite space. I've seen 360 degrees of tomorrow. And for once, live to tell about it. Because I've got the ultimate fighting machine. Okay, on to the final installment of our games leading up to episode one. Uh, the first game I want to look at is Shadows of the Empire, part of a multimedia pre-special edition campaign that included toys, books, soundtracks, comics, and this N64 title. The project was a way of Lucasfilm to analyze the appetite for Star Wars in the mid-90s. The game itself was released on the Nintendo 64 in 1996, and there was a Windows 94 version out there as well. But the game was heavily pushed on the N64, and continues LucasArts' fantastic relationship with Nintendo. The game was a third-person shooter set between Empire and Jedi, where you follow Han Solo clone Dash Render on his adventures to thwart Prince Sizer. Not only is Han Solo cloned in the form of Dash Render, but the Millennium Falcon as well as Dash Render's Outrider. The makers decided that moving away from the heroes would allow more freedom to create a game and story. Development of the game started in 1994, and according to the Nintendo Power magazine, the game was only originally going to have 19 levels, but it was only released with 10. The game was well received at the time, but let's be honest, when I think of Shadows of the Empire, I think that incredible first level at the Battle of Hoth. Now, Shadows of the Empire was the third highest selling N64 game of 1996. I've been looking online the last couple of days to see what prices we could be looking at for this game, and you can get a really decent condition version of Shadows of the Empire for about £24, 
But I remember buying mine for £64 way back in 1996. There was a VGA graded 90 on eBay, but that was going for £640. Crazy. Next up is Yoda Stories by LucasArts that came out in 1997. It was released on Gay by Color and Windows and is a desktop adventure game. Yoda Stories has no real goal but a series of objectives given by Master Yoda. Each objective consists of around 100 desktop windows to play through as you try and work out the puzzles. The Game Boy Color version was a more simplified version of the game. At the time of its release, Yoda Stories was panned by its critics, but I believe that's a little unfair as maybe they should have been judging it in comparison to games like Minesweeper, Solitaire and other Coffee Break games. For example, GameRankings.com has this game rated at 34% and IGN gave it 2 out of 10. What do you guys think of Yoda Stories? I, I did have this one. It was on the old Game Boy Color I had it and I loved it at the time. But looking back now, my friends and that hated it. But then I was the only real diehard Star Wars fans in those and looking back now, I think it did have quite bad poor controls to play. And uh, I think the game was maybe a little bit lacklustre. But to be honest with you, I loved it. And uh, I've probably still got it somewhere, actually. So I might go and dig it out tonight. Yeah, you're right. The A lot of the criticism of the Game Boy version was because you didn't have the mouse, it was a bit more difficult to play than the desktop version. But, you know, like I said, I do think it was a bit unfair that maybe they were rating this game like you would any other computer game, when really it was just sort of like a coffee break game. Um, I found an Italian version online for £72, which is sealed, and uh, two normal versions that were sealed for £48 and £28. But uh, yeah, I never played it, so I can't really, can't really say anything on it. Uh, next up, we have Star Wars Monopoly from 1997. Um, I just want to briefly mention the Star Wars Monopoly. It, it was made by Hasbro Interactive. The game was released alongside a board game version to promote the special editions. Uh, some big box versions of the game also came with an Anakin Skywalker statue, the old Sebastian Shaw one, which if any kid picked up that game now, they probably wouldn't realise what that is. Uh, much like last month's Star Wars Chess, there's very little to say about Star Wars Monopoly. I guess its highlight at the time was the ability to watch new shots from the special editions. What do you guys think? I, I enjoy Star Wars Monopoly. I, I like the way it was on 3D, wasn't it? It was angled, the yeah. board. Yeah, so, so that was really good. It didn't just come with the Anakin figure, which I've still got on my shelf somewhere. It also came with some coins, which were quite interesting. They were, they were funny shapes. I can't remember the names of the coins now, but it was certainly one bronze one, possibly uh, two silver coins as well in the set, and I think I've got those lying around. I did find the game a bit slow. It, it just it did seem to go on forever and ever and ever, um, and I didn't play it very often. But um, I enjoyed Monopoly, so it was you know, it was a worthy game. Rich, can you remember if the big selling point of it was having those special edition shots in it? Mm, yeah, I do. Yes, I do remember that. Um, but there was something else released at the same time. Was were there some DVDs out? pretty close to it as well not of the special edition this would have been re released when the special editions were still in, in the cinema so mm -hmm. I, I remember the box because uh, it was quite a big chunky box which yeah. wasn't you you know the normal normal CD box is quite small but this was a really big box and um, vague recollection that there was a there was something going on at the stores at the same time that they were selling these and I, I really for the life of us can't think of what the other thing was well I can remember in WH Smith's uh, getting stuck with tons of copies of these and selling them for a pound each way back in 1999. 
Uh, looking online, you can pick up sealed versions, no problem, for about 15 to £35 sealed. And there's a few different versions as, as well, depending on sort of year of release or, or the Anakin Skywalker statue. Up next is Masters of Terracassi, which was released on the PlayStation in 1997. Apparently, Terracassi refers to a martial art that is in the game. Uh, both words are borrowed from Finnish, which literally means steel hand, according to Wikipedia. The game is a beat-em-up, much in the same way as Virtua Fighter and Tekken, which were massively popular games in the 1990s. The concept is that in retaliation for the destruction of the Death Star, the Emperor has employed an assassin called Arden Lin to fight key members of the Rebel Alliance in a face-to-face duel. The game was incredibly poorly received, and rightfully so. I think that there's a few motifs leading up to Episode 1 that triggered my thoughts that not all was right in the Star Wars universe. And I think, you know, the changes made in the special edition, the beefy power of the Force figures, and this game right here. It's an absolute horrible game. I found a shrink-wrapped Italian version online for £63, but you can you can pick up this game in good condition for just a few pounds. I think probably it's got to be a contender for the worst Star Wars game. Darth Vader versus Chewbacca. Ready? Fight! And next up is Star Wars Supremacy, or Rebellion as it's called in the US. The game is a real-time strategy developed by Cool Hand Interactive on the PC in 1998, set straight after the Battle of Yavin. Your role is military advisor to either the Rebels or the Empire. With a galaxy map in front of you, you are tasked to explore the galaxy, look for resources, build colonies, colonialize planets, and use diplomacy when interacting with characters within the galaxy. You must use multiple tactics to control your favorite Star Wars characters, recruit others, and set about a variety of different missions. The game is mostly played in Galaxy View, as you use your sector maps to control areas. When battle commences in space, the interface changes to tactical, so you can control your armadas. The game was criticized on release for poor interaction, and way too much emphasis on space battles and limited gameplay. Did did you guys play this one? Yeah, I was devastated with this game, because I thought it was going to be amazing. I was expecting something like Red Alert. I think... This was a game I probably would have copied. I don't remember buying this one in the shop, so I didn't see the box or anything. And uh, when I put it into my PC and it loaded up, I was really excited. I thought, here we go. And my word was I disappointed. And I don't even recall going back to it after the, perhaps the first two days of playing it. But I, I do remember that the ground missions were um, they were just pretty naff. You just you did the mission, right? Off you go into space and you had, you had this the battles that just went on forever and ever and ever. And then it was back to a ground mission. That was done pretty quickly and so disappointing. Really would have loved to have seen a Red Alert or Command and Conquer style Star Wars game. Yeah, I've got to be honest, I bought the game uh, mostly because the artwork on the front I thought was really nice with the Star Destroyer and uh, I think it's the Yavin Moon. But I couldn't, I couldn't understand how to play it. So yeah, I, I, was, I only put it on once and never went back to it. Uh, sealed versions of the US box were online now at £50 and you can get UK versions that are still in pretty good condition from about 15 to 45 pounds but yeah i'm lost on star wars supremacy but let's see if they make something like it in the future which is a bit more acceptable when Matita will show you how to build a droid in the workshop this is the holographic design grid that is used for building droids in the workshop your droid exists only in virtual space it does not get constructed until you deploy it from the mission map There are two building modes to choose from. 
tread-type droids and droids with legs. Depending on which mode you choose, there are different parts available. Now, let's build a completely new droid. Uh, next up is DroidWorks on the PC, developed by Lucas Learning, and this was released in 1998. Uh, DroidWorks is an educational game where the player must create droids using different parts and combinations to complete missions or puzzles. The concept is to educate players into using energy, force, motion, light, and magnetism, and to think creatively. You play alongside C-3PO and R2-D2, and you're sent on a mission to Tatooine to enlist the help of Jawas to reprogram the Empire's droid army. The game utilized the Jedi Knight Sith engine for rendering and gameplay, and the insane engine for the cutscenes, such as we discussed in last month's podcast. I think it's games like this that truly show the diversity and depth of LucasArts and Lucas Learning. Did you, have you guys ever played DroidWorks? No. <laughs> it looks bloody dreadful. I was just watching the video. Uh, unfortunately, the game doesn't seem to operate on any modern systems. I also wasn't able to find many copies online. There is a sealed one being sold alongside our next game, Rogue Squadron, for £30. Uh, Star Wars Rogue Squadron was released in 1998 by Factor 5 and is an arcade style shoot 'em up where you take control of rebel ships. It was released on Windows and Nintendo 64. The N64 version took advantage of the N64 expansion pack to allow higher resolution. The game was set between episodes 4 and 5 and was inspired by the popular Rogue Squadron comics and books. Rich, you like those, don't you? Yeah, they are really, really good book source. The game consists of 16 missions based on different planets. It was a massive financial and critical success, with only the lack of multiplayer being an issue. By August 1999, more than 1 million copies were sold worldwide. The game was an action-packed combat simulator with varying missions based on search and destroy, rescue, recon and protection. All the vehicles had different attributes for different missions, and the game also introduced the Dark Empire's V-Wing. The game also had unlockable content, such as new ships like the Falcon and the Naboo Fighter. Now, the Naboo fighter was a big deal because we were still six months away from Episode 1. This also meant that even the developers of Factor 5 were unaware of the inclusion of the Naboo fighter. It was an easter egg that was scrambled inside the game's code and it couldn't be found. On the release of Episode 1, LucasArts released the information on that easter egg and people could finally play the Naboo fighter that had been locked in their game for the last six months. Uh, Rogue Squadron was inspired by the amazing first level on Shadows of the Empire and the game spawned two sequels on the GameCube. Rogue Squadron 2 and Rebel Strike, as well as Battle for Naboo. Have any of you guys played Rogue Squadron? Any fond memories of it? Oh yes, Grant. Um, I, I actually picked up the, the sequel um, the, recently, actually, a uh, long story, but I got hold of a, a GameCube and got Rogue Squadron 2. And uh, I, I don't remember at the time, because I wasn't really into games at the time, I was too busy into travelling and drinking heavily. Um, so I didn't really get into it, but I mean, this, this is just an amazing game, considering how old it is now. It's over 10 years old, or 12, 13 years old. It is absolutely... Uh, um, it, it's like almost playing the film. All right, the graphics, they actually do hold up to today's standards. They are not actually that bad, but 
it's just the fact that you, you're immersed in the film almost, in, in, in the battle scenes. Um, and I think considering the age of the games and how they've carried that off is, is spectacular. I mean, um, I, if anyone's got a GameCube kick, kicking around or an N64 or something to take this game, I, I, I'd suggest you dig it out and have a go because it is just brilliant. Do you reckon that they might have another one in the future? I've got to. I mean, you, you cannot. I mean, it, I'm, I'm sure it'll be caused me hours or a, a, a different, a different sort of view of it. But um, it, it's it takes that the success of that sort of um, the, the trilogy arcade game, and uh, rather than being like, like a rail shooter or something, it's actually you, know, you, you can go wherever you want. You can fly in between the ships. Um, I mean, all the scenarios you, you can do what you want. I mean, uh, one of the actual levels is a Hoth level on Rose Quadrant 2, um, and you can just fly around Hoth, going through the legs of the Atats, and, and, and going to ground almost, and uh, you can just go anywhere you want. It's just brilliant. And considering the age of the game, um, and how much we've moved on, uh, supposedly, I mean, this is just an immense game. And it, but the only, the only problem with it was, it was very hard, because I'm completely rubbish <laughs> at computer games. <laughs> it, it, took me, it took me months to get anywhere, but then that's probably just me. But it's just the sheer... I mean, I think Star Wars games themselves have, over the years, been superb. And I think this is right up there. Redefining gaming. I think it says a lot as well for the first level that we were talking about in the Shadows of the Empire game that it inspired a game series. It was that good. Okay, I found factory sealed versions of this game online for £50 on the N64 and £30 on the PC. Uh, moving on to Star Wars Trilogy Arcade, which was a 3D rail shooter released in 1998 by Sega based on the original trilogy you just mentioned, this one, Pete. It came in sit-down and stand-up versions, and the game consisted of three main missions. There was also two bonus levels, as you fight Boba Fett and Darth Vader. For me, personally, it's sort of like the spiritual successor to the Atari game that we were discussing two episodes ago, the 1983 one. The gameplay involves moving the joystick around and hitting targets through crosshairs. Uh, the New Hope version consisted of the Yavin space fight and the trench run. Empire Strikes Back consisted of the Battle of Hoth. Return of the Jedi consisted of a speeder bike chase. And the game's final mission was the attack on the second Death Star. The game was well received, especially using the joystick as a lightsaber and the sheer range of Star Wars movie experiences. I lasted a matter of seconds in this game. How did you guys fare? Pretty much the same, Grant, I'm afraid. <laughs> I think I wasted many, many pounds in arcades um, when on, on holidays and stuff, but or probably drunk most of the time. But, uh, I mean, it, it, you had to play the sit-down version. I think this is probably the only arcade game I could, I could really seriously consider getting and sticking in my bedroom. Because it is just such a great experience sitting in that uh, in that little that little little cockpit almost um, in the sit down version. It is just brilliant, and it and it to me it was reliving Star Wars over and over again when Star you know, Star Wars was was in a place where you know everyone was kind of uh, linking Star Wars to the Phantom Menace, and it's like no 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 this was really Star Wars, and this is how it looked, and this is how it should be. And I think uh, if, if if anyone could find this this game buy it and I'll come around your house. Yeah, I remember playing this game in the arcades. It was very limited for me. I mean, I did enjoy it and I enjoyed all the cutscenes and the extra movie experiences that you got when you played it. But I thought the game itself was was very simple. It was predictable. You were limited. You couldn't... Like, when you were flying um, the snow speeders, you were restricted to where you could go. You couldn't 
like leave. You couldn't do like what you do in Battlefront, where you can leave and go somewhere else. So once you figured out the patterns, the game was very, very easy to play. I remember getting up to the the fight with Darth Vader, um, but he just annihilated us. I, I didn't think the um, the joystick and lightsaber worked very well. From memory, all I remember was a lightsaber just appearing on the screen. And I think you just had to block his slashes or something along those lines. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't very good. It wasn't a good, it wasn't a good end in the game. I never got that far. I ran out of money by about <laughs> ten minutes in. Uh, Stu, we discussed this last month uh, during Pete's market section. Are you still going to get this arcade game to go into your bathroom? <laughs> it was your bathroom, wasn't it? It wasn't my bathroom, was it? Yeah, you're going to take the stairs out on a wall. Ah, uh, right, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I might be tempted because one just sold on eBay, the stand-up arcade version, for £1,250. But get this, the even bigger sit-down version went for £440. Bargain. What? Where was that? I would have had one of them for my garage. Especially at that price, mate, that would have been... 400 quid? Yeah, no-brainer. Yeah, isn't it? Where Brilliant. was that? Oh, I can't believe that. Grant! Let's go find this person and befriend them. But Pete, finally, after all the way from 1982 to 1998, <sighs> the moment you've been waiting for, Behind the Magic. Woo-hoo! Now, Behind the Magic is an interactive CD-ROM from LucasArts from 1998. It's probably one of the best Christmas presents I ever got. Uh, it's an in-depth guide to the Star Wars universe with information, video, behind-the-scenes, quizzes, scripts, uh, games, and audio. It's got a searchable uh, glossary. It's sort of like a digital Star Wars Bible. Um, it also contained behind-the-scenes preview of Episode 1, but probably the most incredible addition was the inclusion of the deleted scenes. These include Luke's introduction, uh, Luke and Biggs at Anchorhead, and a rough edit of the cantina. I really love this. What do you think, Pete? I think it's important to, to put it into context of where it actually sat in terms of technology, because we had, obviously, VHS was you know on its last legs, and CDs were, had been around for many years, but people hadn't really done a, a great deal of stuff with CDs because you couldn't, you couldn't really put styles onto a CD-ROM because it, it was too small, uh, the CD-ROM was. And then DVDs, I think, were out around about that year, and no, not actually the Star Wars DVD, but DVDs in general, and Lucasfilm weren't convinced of putting their films onto DVD at, at that time. And remember, they didn't come out for quite, quite a while. So you couldn't really get Star Wars content um, ease available. I mean, if you if you had videos with deleted scenes on, you had to go back, rewind, forward wind, rewind. You know, people don't kind of realise how amazing this was to have these these amazing deleted scenes, which which we we'd seen and read about, and maybe some of various TV programs and whatever. We suddenly have them at hand on a on a disc. So, like, oh my goodness, it was it was just utterly amazing. And um, also on that, on that CD, CD, ROM, apart from the fact that you could access the script and go through the film bit by bit, um, you also had some cute little game, sort of game areas as well, which was one of them was, was blasting a stormtrooper, and it was a beautifully animated stormtrooper as well, and you, you could actually interact with this thing. Um, and I think it's important to, to remember that there wasn't anything like this, uh, this around, really. You, you had computer games, um, but you didn't have anything... You know, which was effectively what DVDs became um, ongoing. I mean, you, you just didn't have it, and this was like real. Uh, this, this was the ultimate Star Wars fans' dream. Um, I mean, I still have my copy. I had a look at it the other day, and it's absolutely scratched to, to death. I might have to get another copy, but uh, I must have played it. I mean, for days on end. I mean, I had it at work. 
and I managed to convince my IT department to allow me to, <laughs> to play with it on my work computer because I just, I just every day I was in there getting through the script, whatever. Just, just a brilliant piece of, of software because they, they did an episode one version, didn't they? Yeah. Um, and then of course DVDs came out and uh, there was no need for these sort of things. The episode one suffered a little bit because this one had three films in one. But um, even if your version is scratched, uh, I was looking at the markets for it, and it's really easy to pick up. I couldn't actually find any yeah, sealed yeah. examples, but you can get a great copy of it for you know ten pounds. Definitely going to be reinstalling it though, and uh, I hope it's even if it's a half as good as it was uh, back in 1998. I'm sure it'll be brilliant. games from 1982 to 1999 with the Dark Forces series that consists of Dark Forces, Dark Forces 2, Jedi Knight and Mysteries of Sith the expansion set. Uh, this is a first person shooter by LucasArts for the PC Mac and the first game was also available on, on the PlayStation. Dark Forces built on games like Wolfenstein and Doom that came before but you know also was able to build on that by having things like the ability to look up and down as well as having multiple flaws in the level design. Uh, it was the first game we play expanded universe favorite Kyle Katarn as he learns the fate of his dead father before enlisting as a mercenary in the rebellion and is tasked with recovering the Death Star plans and uncovering the Dark Trooper project. More than your standard first person shooter, Katarn would have to work out puzzles to gain advancement in the game. Uh, the game also contained a vast number of weapons and power-ups. Uh, on release, the game was a massive success and at the time it, it was LucasArts' highest selling game. The game went on to be the 11th highest selling game from 1993 to 1999. The game was so popular that Hasbro released a set of figures from the game, which proved that the video games were just as viable as the movies when it came to merchandising. Uh, the inevitable sequel of the game came in 1997 with Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight. The game added advancements and gameplay to the new Sith engine with 3D acceleration and multiplayer modes as well as surround sound. The game itself had live actors playing roles in full motion video cutscenes and also included the lightsaber, a criticism which was left out from the original. The game also included the force as well as dividing force into neutral, light and dark side powers. The ability to master the force would prove essential to completing the game as well as enhancing the experience. The game also had two endings depending on the character choices you make. The story of the game was set one year after Return of the Jedi as Katarn learns about the Valley of the Jedi and the death of his father by Dark Jedi Jerick and his motley crew. The game also had an expansion pack called Mysteries of the Sith that followed the story of Mara Jade. The expansion pack, while not as good as Jedi Knight, also improved on the, the artificial intelligence of the characters as well as and improved the lighting and textures within the game. I freaking love these games, especially Jedi Knight. at a moment of change. Jarek, the man who murdered your father, is a great evil. 
He searches for the location of a sacred place, the Valley of the Jedi. The force of thousands of Jedi is trapped here. If Jarek captures this power, he will be a creature such as the universe has never seen. The supernova of stars in a fleeting fort. The eradication of life from a star system in a whisper will be within his power. Your father gave his life to protect this power, and now it is a place your destiny must take you. The disk you have in your possession will lead you to the ways of the Jedi. Remember, it will be your path to the ways of the Force. Well, your blessed ship is going to be in the repair bay for the next few days. Uh, how's it look? Nothing that a crate full of money which you don't have wouldn't solve. Like always, I owe you. Can you take care of her for me? You're not going after Jarek, are you? No. I'm going back to my father's home in Sulan. Can you meet me there when you're finished with the crow? Of course. Is everything okay? I don't know. I'll find out when I get there. I think Dark Forces is probably um, my favourite game of all time. I mean, who would not want to play a game where you were blasting stormtroopers? And for a long time, I thought you were actually Han Solo. I didn't realise you were Calcaton. I thought some some kind of code name for Han. But but I love the whole game. Uh, it's the only game I've actually finished on the hardest setting because I played it so much. I was I, I got so involved in it, and I dread to think how many hours and hours and hours I played on it. In both Dark Forces and Jedi Knight with two games that forced me to upgrade my PCs. You know, because the, the, the graphics card couldn't take, certainly couldn't take Jedi Knight because it had that 3D accelerator, didn't it? And Dark Forces, I think I, hope I had to upgrade the sound card or something on it to play that. But Dark Forces, particularly the first um, Shadow Trooper, it took me a long time to figure out how to kill that thing. Because uh, I, I remember walking around on the, on the bottom level and all of a sudden your screen would go red as you're getting slashed and I think three, three slashes and you were dead. It took me a long time to to figure that one out and can you remember the last level on it where you have to I think you've got to defeat five five dog troopers and then Boba Fett at the end and that took me months to complete that mission and the, the only way I could do it was at the start of the level even an elevator then because dog troopers and Boba Fett flies if you go and run in the elevator they can't actually get you and you can shoot their legs and that was the only way I could uh, complete the game but uh, awesome is it true that you prefer Dark Forces to Jedi Knight? I do. I prefer Dark Forces to Jedi Knight because it, because it, that's what I want in a game. I just want to play the game. I don't want to remember that this that force power, that button's that force power. I, I didn't enjoy the lightsaber battles in Jedi Knight. Um, I was so disappointed when they actually... I think it's about level 4 when you find the lightsaber and you have to do some practicing with the droid. I was so disappointed in that. And I almost gave up on Jedi Knight. Uh, possibly level 7 where you've got to fight two two guys, and one of them's a tiny little thing. You kind of hit the, the little things, you get you kept bouncing around all over the place. I almost give up give up with it until I, I figured out, you know, how to use some of the force powers on it. But I, I was so disappointed. And yet I thought Mysteries of the Sith, the first level in that, which was available on a computer magazine, yeah. is probably the best level of any game I've ever played. It just went on and on and on. It was so brilliant. I have vivid, vivid memories of that level. And it took me a long time, actually, to find a copy of it um, so to see what the rest of the game was like. But, um, yeah, if I had to rank them in order, I'd say Dark Forces, then Mysteries of the Sith, and then Jedi Knight Last. Oh, wow. 
I I thought the first level of Mysteries of the Sith was the highlight of the game, uh, definitely. Yeah. But for me, uh, Jedi Knight is probably the best Star Wars game. If not, um, Jedi Knight did have two sequels uh, in the next century. Uh, the Incredible Jedi Outcast and the not-so-good but still good Jedi Academy. And I think maybe Jedi Outcast would have to be up there as well, but that's a, that's a whole other decade. Um, I managed to find some sealed versions of these games online for about £50, uh, but you can get them for just a few pounds on Steam. Um, on May the 4th as well, they always do great Star Wars deals, so I managed to pick up Jedi Knight for £2.50 uh, this year, so definitely keep an eye out for that. In conclusion, the future would be full of highs and lows. Uh, the prequel games would take over. Uh, Star Wars games would continue to make more expanded universe titles rather than film adaptations. Sequels would continue to raise the bar from the 90s games such as Rogue Squadron 2 and Jedi Outcast. The 2000s would also see popular new titles such as Battlefront Knights of the Old Republic, Republic Commando, The Force Unleashed and the Lego games. The future also saw the end of LucasArts and the Disney takeover, but we'll have to see what happens with that. At least we finally have Battlefront 3 on the way and hopefully some more incredible Star Wars experiences in the future. So just for a quick recap guys, from 1982 to 1999, the original trilogy is what was your favourite and least favourite Star Wars game? Um, my favourite would have to be the, um, I think, the Super Star Wars on the SNES. Okay. The worst, I would, I would struggle with this with what I've played. Um, I'd probably have to just go with something like the Star Wars chess, which, you know, was just a game of chess. <laughs> but I did enjoy it, <laughs> you know, so it's a... Um, I don't sound a game, but Behind the Magic is obviously the number one for me because I spent so much time playing with it. Um, I think the worst, it was that awful droids thing which I bought and it was wasted pocket money which really, really annoyed me because I used to hate buying a game that wasted my pocket money. What was it called again? Um, it was, it, droids. It was uh, just the, the droids, yeah, it was just, just the droids computer game. That was, It was just awful and the control system redefined poor control systems. So anyone who had any hand in that deserves to have their hands cut off. Uh, Dark Forces for me was the the Wars game um, ever, and it still is. I mean, as much as I love Battlefront, I still think Dark Forces set the scene, and it even it holds up today as well. When you if you go up and play it, you you wouldn't be disappointed. The worst game, uh, I mean, there are some pretty dreadful ones, but I'm going to go with one that I actually played is um, Rebellion. I thought uh, Star Wars Rebellion was dreadful. Yeah, okay. In reflection, I'm thinking there's so many great ones. I like the 1983 Atari arcade game, which was great. The Super Star Wars game that you mentioned, Stuart. The X-Wing games, X-Wing Alliance, but for me, probably the number one Star Wars game is Jedi Knight. And as worst one, Pete, I'm probably going to agree with you and say Star Wars Droids. Uh, that's the end of our three-parter on uh, original trilogy Star Wars games before the prequels. Next month, we will have something totally different. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Too loud. Three pack.
I said that was too loud. I want a three-pack can of one, one now. Yeah, we all do. Not one, not two, but three figures in it. Greedo Bosca, maybe even Warus Man. They didn't do that one. Or give me Darth Anakin and Ben Kenobi. Or that one. Han Solo, Luke Farnboy, and a solid Doma too. Hey everyone, find out about which three packs they did do by asking the question on www.starwarsforum.co.uk. Peace out, man. Okay, in this um, market watch, I want to talk about something that came up on the forum, which a few of us uh, made a purchase of. This was, I'm titling this as the Rotherham ex-boyfriend loft find. Now, what usually happens on our, on our uh, for sale threads are people come along, they say they've got stuff for sale out of a loft, and there's a lot of scepticism because these people never usually come back, and it kind of gets left there, really. But this is one that, even though there was scepticism, it did actually come to the fore. Um, this was a, a, a lady called Lindsay, uh, who lives in Rotherham, and that's all I'm going to tell you what her name or details are, but she came on saying a story about her boyfriend had uh, kind of left all this stuff, he'd done a runner, and she decided to sell it all off. Now, I can't go into the prices exactly what was bought, but I can go into what was bought, because some of this stuff might appear on the forum later to sell, and, and people don't want that sort of confidentiality released. But... Um, if you guys also have a look at what was actually sold or was up for sale, there were some very impressive pieces. Um, some of the highlights probably are Empire Strikes Back, Snaggletooth in good condition, uh, Return of Jedi, Palatoy, Han Hoth, a Palatoy, Luke Jedi, and a lot of Klaatus in various conditions, some reseals, some crap bubbles, uh, a bunch of boxed items, a Wampa, TIE Fighter, uh, some mini rigs, uh, um, some modern stuff like a TIE Interceptor, um, a Bantha, which was quite popular in the end, um, and a bunch of other bits and pieces, some some carded stuff which was in great condition, but some real utter bargains uh, were had there, and I think we're going to see these eventually. But really, what I want to ask the rest of you guys is now, one thing is, if your if something happened to you, what would happen to your collections? And two, if this, you are on the other end of this, as in, let's say your wife or a family member had an amazing collection. How seriously would you take selling this off? So let's start with Ben. So what, what would happen to you if you're... Uh, you know, would, would your wife know what to do with your collection or would she just get as much money as she could for it? I have given her instructions uh, what to do in the event of me expiring, shall we say, because I'm uh, obviously not going on the basis that one day she's going to chuck me out of the house and uh, um, flog my entire collection. But um, she has a rough appreciation of what is what in terms of what bits will attract a greater premium or be more desirable than others. And she's also been given instructions as to who not to deal with uh, if she receives a text message from certain people and who can be trusted if she wishes to try and sell any of the stuff. There is some sort of contingency plan in place (laughs) should she need to uh, offload it all. 
And what about if, if you really, really knock her off um, and get some revenge? Does she know which pieces you'd be more annoyed at to get rid of? If she really wanted to, maybe maybe you did something nasty or silly. Well, I'm not that sort of person, Pete, so I've got no fear there. <laughs> but uh, she. Uh, but let's just say, let's say that scenario happened. She, she approximately knows which ones I have um, more favour for, shall we say. And it's not necessarily the most expensive pieces either. Yeah, she she has she has an approximate idea of the collection. So, uh, Rich, you seem to have a um, a rather wayward bit of collecting in your in your collection, and you also seem to have a slightly wayward relationship with your not to be soon wife who you've known for many many years. Does she know much about your your the value of your collection? Very little at all. It's just things that arrive in the post that she doesn't ask anything about. They get opened up and whacked on the collection. That's it. That's as far as it goes. No interest whatsoever from there. So if she's still waiting for that that, uh, that, that proposition on bended knee um, and it doesn't come in the next like 20 further years, do you think out of spite she might sell off your collection on a forum? Maybe on Rebel Scum or something? No, she's much more likely to give it away to charity than anything else. It's the kind of thing that you would do. Especially like some kind of bloody animal charity or something. I, I, I can see dogs using my Star Wars figures as chew toys or something like that. Now, Stu, we've all been to your house and we've all experienced your lifestyle now. Um, we all feel like we're part of your, your garage family. Claire seems to be pretty up on your Star Wars collecting and quite supportive of it. So uh, if you've knocked her off, are you going to be uh, finding your stuff listed on Star Wars Form UK? Um, I, to be honest with you, mate, I would... I would expect her to keep it and hand it down to my son, who will then probably play with it all and wreck it. <laughs> no. But um, I think if she did say to me the other day, she goes, well, if you did die, I'll give Grant a ring so he can come <laughs> and tell me what's worth selling. So, so there you go, Grant. <laughs> so, what? Did you really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was just before Belgium, that conversation. <laughs> well, until, no, she met, no. until she met him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Stu, I just hope nothing bad happened. What have you got in collection? <laughs> You'll have to come well, sort the garage out and find out. Exactly. I mean, there was there was tons of stuff underneath that stuff in the garage that could be important. Uh, well, I, I guess we'll find out someday. I think what you're forgetting already is that Stu's wife has already sold off his entire collection <laughs> once, so the president's already there. And and to make it even more painful, wasn't it your childhood collection? Uh, well, that co- that collection, Rich, was yeah, my childhood and stuff. I, when I was in in the nineties, when I was at school. I got everyone, all my school friends, to bring in their Star Wars toys and give them to me. So it was quite a vast collection. So it wasn't just my childhood collections, it was all my friends' childhood collections as well. Sorry, sorry, Stu, you told, you bullied children and got them to <laughs> give you your, the, your Star Wars toys. What, were you some sort of sort of gangland member at school this, or something? This was about, like, 93, I suppose it must have been. It wasn't really in the um, mindset, was it? So people were, like, happy to give them to me. They were all, like, 14 and getting into girls, you know. Was that when you were trying to break their wrists over metal bars? They were happy to give it to you. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Now, Grant, you have the biggest collection of Star Wars things on the planet, other than all the big ones, and um, or in Wales at least. So, what would happen to your stuff then? Let's say you really knocked your mom off. <laughs> would you get back at you by selling your stuff for a couple of quid? No, no, I don't think so. Do you know what? I was reading um, on another forum once that someone said. The reason I get AFA graded, and I don't want to keep knocking on about AF grade, but the reason why they get AFA graded is so if anything happened to them, their wife would know what the thing is. And I thought, well, why not just write your own sticker? It's a lot less. <laughs> what a Same. crazy thing to say, but there we go. Um, on another sort of story, I went out on a date the other day, and one of the questions I asked this girl was, how many rulers do you have? 
And she said, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I have about, I'm guessing maybe one or two. And I went, I just bought a box of 48 from 1983. So, um, yeah, that I don't think that's that a... going on any further. She'd probably sell them anyway. That is, uh, that is, yeah, that's they're... a highly romantic question, Grant, to ask on a, on a date. That's, it that's was the real... second question. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I, no, no one's going to touch my stuff. Go away. <laughs> but if something <laughs> did happen to you, Grant, let's <laughs> say you were kidnapped by, you know, the Welsh militant office. What what what, they, what would happen to your stuff? Do you reckon? I don't want anything to happen to my stuff, Pete. <laughs> something will. Why is if you get like lost in Belgium one day or something? No, 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 no. Nothing's gonna happen <laughs> to my stuff. It's gonna be awesome forever. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Pete, I've got a question for you. And you know, this is if a if a, a partner was to split up or whatever, but he just moved away to you know his mate's house or went home to his family or whatever, but still had his stuff at this girl's house and she just sells it all and he returns back to the scene and all of the Star Wars stuff is sold what happens then? I mean would she be done for theft? Would the stuff have to be returned? I don't know it's a difficult one I think uh, I think there must be some kind of legal thing somewhere if you're married maybe but I don't know it must be it's impossible really to answer I mean that guy could come after us all with you know murderous sticks but, um, but no one really knows our details apart from our presence on the forum really so that's the only way we could be found if it comes back looking for it. But. Does anybody ever bother to check when they're buying something off somebody else that it actually belongs to them? No, I mean, you could just go on eBay, couldn't you, and just sell stuff without a serial number or a graded item. You don't really yeah. have any way of checking anything, do you? It's just stuff. I mean, I mean that goes anything. But you, but you could technically be done for handling stolen goods, even though you could just pretend that you didn't know. Does Ben find out, then? Do you, when you go to a boot fair, Ben, do you check out their history? No, I don't. I just buy it on the assumption that what they're selling they actually belongs to them. I wouldn't buy them uh, knowing that they were stolen, but uh, it's just the risk you take, isn't it? Really, Ben? You've got, you've got buying ethics? <laughs> well, when it comes to stolen goods, yes. But I thought on things like eBay and stuff, you, you have, you're, you're effectively signing a disclaimer to say that this item is yours and it belongs to you before you list. But I think in a, like a car boot sale, there is, you know, there is nothing, really. If you sell stolen goods, then... You can just be as culpable as others. Okay, now seeing as we had uh, Joe on and talking about tri-logos, I thought I'd have a look at the, the tri-logo sort of market. Now, there was a tri-logo Jawa up for sale recently, and it was listed as super rare and up for $6,500, but it disappeared, um, as in it was taken down by the, the seller. So whether it was a, a resale or a recard, I don't know, but it did disappear. I thought I'd go and have a look. I mean, the prices seem to fluctuate like anything, but um, I thought I'd go back and have a look at Vectis auctions for tri-logo figures because they actually go back to 2002 probably when they, they probably started up online and i thought i'd have a just try and track a a couple of figures to see what how how the, how the price of value so in the last 12 years then in 2002 there was a set of tri-logo figures uh, princess leia carded figures and it was a princess leia organa a boosh and a bespin now three of them all carded in really good condition they sold for two hundred pounds in two thousand and sorry two thousand three, so two thousand two, two thousand three, and in two thousand what? Yes, hang on, hang on. And then in two thousand fourteen, just a Trilogo Organa on her own sold for four hundred eighty pounds. Now, obviously with inflation and all that sort of stuff, that is quite a big leap. So three for two hundred, and then just one for four eighty. So I mean that that kind of gives you an indication of in the last ten years how some of the prices have gone nuts. 
um, on, on, on the Trilogos. There's not a lot out there in terms of big, big money stuff with Trilogos, but obviously so some of them are going for around about sort of 900 to... Well, I think from 900 to about £90 pounds with Trilogos. I picked up a, a Trilogo Lear Bespin in reasonable condition. I had to flatten out a bit for £60 recently. But, um, yeah, I think I think that, that probably goes to show what the Star Wars market has done over the last probably 10 years. Yeah, I was just going to talk about um, what Joe was talking about earlier in the interview. And there is uh, an emerging jump in high-graded Trilogo cards because everyone knows that there's issues with the bubbles. But the bubbles don't yellow. And um, there is a lot of standard... Um, quite difficult to get Trilogo cards. Others not so difficult to get, but they are commanding high prices between the three to five hundred pound range, simply because they are in wonderful, you know, AFA eighty five condition. So there is a big jump there from some of the standard prices you get for the Trilogos. Looking at uh, um, the sort of recent sales on eBay, there was there was actually a rather interesting Trilogo auction. Oh, well, actually, it was a buy it now actually, but um, a sale, should we say, of a Trilogo. TIE Fighter pilot. Uh, can you guess what it might have gone for? Well, I think in a really good Trilogo TIE Fighter pilot, it's around about 250 quid, maybe a bit more if it's if it's really, really good. I know AFA graded ones go for about 495, so I'm probably thinking you're on about the Lunatic one, which is going for 3,000 pounds. Yeah, well, this this one went for 2,195 bucks. Wax. Did it, um, did it sell? Um, yeah, it's actually sold. It's AFA 85. And that went for two thousand one hundred ninety-five bucks, which is about one thousand what's that six hundred ish. That's yeah. ridiculous. There's That's loads of high-quality Tie Fighter pilot Tri logos out there. Don't spend two, two, three thousand pound on it. Don't worry, Grant. I'm not going to do it. I know, I know, but it's just ridiculous. I'm not going to do it, Grant. I picked one up, uh, which was really good condition on eBay by uh, in February for thirty-five pound. Well, this person actually listed it. Get this. You'll enjoy this. The only one in existence. Holy Grail. Nonsense. But Sorry, that's, that's nonsense. That's, our fun. that's what they put. Um, also, a Yak Face went for just under $1,500. Yep, a Yak Face went for 1,499.99 bucks. A Tri Logo. A Tri Logo. Crazy. Another one right. just, just shy, um, eight cents shy of $1,000 uh, with 29 bids on it. Uh, Luke Bespin went for. Just shy of nine hundred dollars. Well, this is dollars. Remember, what? It's got mass. I think. I think this, this is probably showing, reflecting what we talked about recently, which or on this podcast somewhere um, about Star Wars collectors coming from all over the place and just spending ridiculous amounts of money. Out of all you guys, who's actually got a tri logo um, carded figure? I mean, I've I've got my first one. Woohoo! What about you, uh, Ben? Have you got any tri logos? Yeah, I've got a few. Just trying to think. I've got some more coming actually. I've just uh, I've just purchased three, or I'm in the process of purchasing three. Um, I've just got myself a Han Solo, a Stormtrooper, and a Darth Vader. I think I've got a few others as well. And I've got a Romba and a really really nice uh, Lando Calrissian General Pilot, uh, and a few other random ones as well. I've also got a couple of hybrids, which we can class as pal- as uh, trilogos. Stu, do you have any trilogos in your little your little miniature uh, collection? In your little <laughs> I knew house? you were going to come to me with that, and I come do on. I do have some trilogos, but they are boxed up in my garage, and I could not tell you for the life of me what characters are on them. What? <laughs> your gar- your garage needs sorting, chap. It needs sorting quickly. Um, I know I've got 
yeah, I know there's a couple few out there, yeah. But no, <laughs> I, I don't have an idea, no. Listeners, this shows how mad his garage is. It probably sums it up beautifully. Definitely. The fact that he doesn't actually know. His mind has been turned and blanked of what he actually owns under tons and tons of stuff in his garage, which is about the size of a small shop. He's got 25 Anakins, probably. <laughs> yeah, no, no, nothing <laughs> like that. There's definitely That's an Ewok out there, but yeah, definitely, definitely one of them. What are really what just hiding under that stuff, living in its own little little world? Just waiting for Grant to come and live in there so we can breastfeed him. I'm waiting for your wife to sell him to me. Yeah, when when Stuart accidentally dies in a in a bad incident. Right, Grant, you must have trilogos coming out your ears. Come on. Yeah, man. Yeah, I've got I've got a nice little set of trilogos on the go. I just want to say like that. You know, I I, pay, I got a yak face. It's one of the, you know, it's incredibly mint. I go for three hundred and fifty quid. So stop spending thousands of pounds on this stuff. There's plenty of yak faces out there. They're always on eBay. You know, calm down. I thought it'd be fun to pick up on a random item, uh, which could could really feature in an oddball section. But um, now this is sadly another item which didn't sell, probably because it was well quite overpriced. Uh, but it's just amazing looking poster, which I just catches the eye. Now, this, this is a 16-inch by 20-inch sweepstakes poster, and it, the, the composition of the poster is quite odd. It's a beautiful red-looking thing, but it's got uh, Darth Vader, Adam Akbar, and Nine Numb all kind of looking at you from a strange sort of viewpoint. Um, there's no kind of logic to, to, to the, uh, the figure, to the actual poster itself. And then the typeface... Uh, it's got Return of Jedi logo. Typeface is kind of like an old Vegas Showtime style typeface, and it was a, it was a um, a strange sort of promotion, which was just basically write in and win lots of Star Wars figures. And it is the most oddest looking thing I think I've seen poster wise. It's a preview of the new Star Wars movie, Return of the Jedi, and you could be there if you're one of five grand prize winners in Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi sweepstakes. Grand prize also includes Kenner's complete Star Wars Return of the Jedi collection. Entry deadline April 1st, 1983. Thousands enter. Only five win the grand prize. Details on posters and entry blanks at participating stores. Your entry gives you a chance to be one of the first to see Return of the Jedi. Now, Grant, I believe you actually have one of these posters. Yeah, I certainly didn't pay what was going for it on eBay, but these posters were up in the cinema for the release of Return of the Jedi, and it's a Kenner poster, and it's for a sweepstakes. And I think, I mean, I'm just, I don't actually know, but I think the reason why they chose maybe Admiral Akbar and Nainam is because those were mail-away figures, so maybe that was a way of promoting them. But yeah, it was a, it's a sweepstakes poster for... Uh, the celebration of Return of the Jedi. And I'm thinking you might be able to pick up these sweepstakes uh, flyers whilst going to the cinema to watch Return of the Jedi in the States. But yeah, it's a really interesting piece. I really like it. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, it was obviously released before the film came out because uh, the, the main prizes were um, actually going to the, the sort of premiere of Return of the Jedi. So it's just interesting to see that, that to sort of advertise this, yeah, this new film coming out, they didn't go for our usual heroes. <laughs> they went for... A character who's in it right at the end, but not in it much. And Adam Akbar, it just seems a bit of an awkward thing. I mean, obviously Darth Vader's there, prominent. But you've got these two kind of like minor characters from the film flanking him on either side. And I just found, I find it really... I mean, like, like I said, it, it was obviously for figures. But at the same time, neither of these figures are really... Well, I'm assuming because they're so easy to get hold of even now, that they weren't, you know, these, these earth-shattering sort of versions of them. 
It just seems a, a really odd selection of, of figures. Are you are you a big post-eclectic run of Star Wars stuff? Um, not from the movies, but there's another, there's the free poster that comes out, another kind of poster that comes out, and there's obviously the ones that come with the toys as well, which are also really interesting. Some of those have really gone up in price at the moment. I think the first issue, Pally's White one, is getting quite expensive, and I saw a Clipper one, I believe, that Steph was selling, um, the other day. That was, that, that went for a bit of money, but, uh, yeah, there's plenty of, other sort of eclectic stuff out there to pick up, which is quite interesting. But I do really like the sweepstakes, sweepstakes poster. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame, really, that, that the person had it up for, what was it, $300, and it didn't get, even get a sniff, which is probably quite surprising. I think that really... I mean, again, that that reflects back on the fact that people are just thinking, right, Star Wars item, oh, that's my, must be worth two or $300. I mean, I think if they started off at a low price, I reckon it would have fetched, you know, what, $100, do you reckon? Is it worth it? Uh, well, I picked mine up for fifty quid. So, yeah, so, so hundred dollars would probably been a, probably a reasonable price, but the person got greedy and, and went for the well three hundred dollars and uh, a buy it now of four hundred, which is a bit cheeky, really. But I'm sure we'll we'll see that again sometime. I'll have to watch out for it. We here at the Star Wars Forum UK podcast need all of our listeners, their families and their friends help. This year, we want to get R2D2, we wish you a Merry Christmas, into the UK Top 40 Christmas Countdown. The song was originally on the Christmas in the Stars album back in the uh, late 70s and uh, features Anthony Daniels as Siri 3PO as well as uh, Bon Jovi on the song. So, please, please, please... We are going to put a Facebook page up in the next couple of days and it will be linked on our Twitter, on the forum, um, on Facebook. So please, please, please like it and share it and then please make sure you purchase the song. There will be a link on the um, Facebook page. Please make sure you purchase the song between December the 15th and December the 19th which will ensure it will be in the, um, in the Christmas charts. We would also urge our overseas listeners, our American friends, Canadians, Europeans, wherever you are, to follow the link and also help us achieve our goal by purchasing this from the iTunes UK site. Uh, Fingers crossed we can get this done. And thank you for your support. Right, now I want to welcome back Joe O'Brien for this month's Rapid Fire Questions. You ready, Joe? Yeah, sure thing. Wonderful. Right. Favourite Star Wars movie? I would say Return of the Jedi. Favourite Star Wars scene? When Luke fights Vader in Return of the Jedi. Favourite on-screen character? 
Um, well, I couldn't not say 88, could I? But it's probably not. I'll pro- I don't know. I'd probably say Luke Skywalker is probably probably the most interesting one. Favourite planet? Endor. Favourite part of the prequels? Oh, th- no, I don't have a favourite part. I <laughs> no. Scrubbed them from my memory. Optimistic or pessimistic about episode 7? I am optimistic. Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? Um, I'd quite like to meet... Um, anyone really I'd, I'd like to meet anyone that was involved in the making of the films favourite Sith Ooh, uh, Darth Maul who's probably the, the coolest one Padme or Leia <laughs> um, Leia I guess um, favourite lightsaber duel again I'd say probably Luke and Vader in Return of the Jedi because I think it just kind of sums up the whole the whole trilogy yeah. it was all about yeah. that moment Ewoks love them or hate them um, love them <laughs> Favourite figure as a child? Um, it was actually 88, funny enough. I Yeah, I, I had a lot of favourites, but I would say 88 was the one that stuck in my mind the most. Favourite figure now? Um, yeah, it's, it's 88. I've spent quite a long time focusing on him, so yeah, 88. What character do you wish they'd made a figure of? Tarkin, probably. Um, maybe even a bunch more Ewoks. <laughs> Favourite toy vehicle or playset? The Rebel Transport is a good one. I like... I like all the ships, really. I think they had good play value as a kid. Favourite Star Wars book? Oh, favourite Star Wars book? I quite like Gus and Duncan's uh, prototype book that came out recently. Wonderful. Um, your favourite card back? Oh, favourite card back. Wow, that's a tough one. I should probably say Trilogo, shouldn't I? What was the last vintage Star Wars toy you purchased? Oh, it's been a while. I think it was actually... Um, a pa- I, have, I bought a pair of the Force um, unreleased proof cards. Um, it was probably about a year ago. I haven't bought anything since then. U grading is bastardization of everything that I stand for. <laughs> and finally, what is your holy grail item? Holy grail would probably be um, as a focus collector. It would probably be the eighty-eight photo art, or maybe even uh, the blueprint. I've seen. I know the blueprint exists of the of the figure, the Kenner figure. So yeah, that was, that would be pretty high. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Joe. No problem. So another show nearly wrapped up then boys got an extra special month coming up for you in December regarding the Swafuk podcast we are going to have a double show extravaganza we'll be releasing a normal format show and then shortly before Christmas we'll be releasing a special Christmas edition so look forward to that um, Rich you've got this month's feedback well we've had some great feedback from last month's episode um, it's really pleasing to see comments such as the last episode was slick, it was polished, it was the best episode yet. Ben's battle staff really seemed to be popular. Um, and it, it always is good that when we get something that's unscripted, that really comes out like that. So, well done, Ben. The comedy factor was really made by you in the last show. Um, we met a couple of guys in Belgium, and it was really nice to get comments from those guys to say that they listened to the show and they really enjoyed it. So, a, a good shout-out to um, Tim Beethoven and his friends over in Belgium. Um, and the guys from the TK421 magazine um, we really enjoyed your gift that we got in Belgium and that's now a treasured part of my Star Wars collection so thanks guys what is also good is when people post in the threads on the forum and there's two that I want to talk about one was from Spoons and I just can't believe that we missed this 
he mentioned that the Takara cardback discussion that I had was really, really good. But uh, he also said that there was another oddity in there that we missed completely, and that's the fact that the lightsaber on the back of the cardback is actually red on the Takara ones, where it's yellow on the others. Uh, no apparent reason for that, and it's so bloody obvious how we missed that beyond me. Uh, but it just goes to show that you can be looking at something for such a long time and miss something that's really, really obvious. But by far the best discussion that went on, I think, was between Fuzzy Buzzy and Pete, uh, where Pete made some comments along the lines that the Star Wars wallpaper, the, the graphics weren't too good, um, it looked a bit clumsy, etc., etc. And Fuzzy Buzzy um, put a photograph of a fantastic piece of wallpaper that he's got framed. Such a great idea. And he, yeah, I think he had two pieces of wallpaper, and both of them looked absolutely stunning. stunning. And he tore Pete to shreds with his comments, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, very respectful, though, uh, the, the comments to to and from uh, Fuzzy Buzzy towards Pete. Um, and I think Pete tried to get a bit defensive on the Marvel, as Fuzzy Buzzy said that some of the Marvel stuff was a bit naff. But no, keep, keep your comments going. All your feedback is much appreciated. Email us at swfukpodcast at gmail.com or send us a, a tweet or contact us on Facebook. And we welcome to all your comments about this show, and I hope this one's a good one too. Yeah, um, Rich, I just wanted to say the vintage wallpaper that the guys were arguing over is a sealed Vumra, V-Y-M-U-R-A, Vumra wallpaper, and one actually sold an hour ago, sealed, for £53.55. £53 for one, one roll? Yeah, yeah, it's incredibly rare, so I think someone got a bargain there anyway, but yeah. I don't know the company though. V Y M U R A. Any ideas how to pronounce that? V Y M U R A. Yeah. Vim, I would say Vimura. Vimura. Ah. That's how I pronounce it. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah. Ben. Uh, yeah, it was just a little bit to follow on from uh, what you were saying about the uh, the banter that occurred afterwards. Jamie Fuzzy Fuzzy Toys took it quite as quite a slight that Pete didn't like the wallpaper and. When I listen to the podcast back, obviously we, we hear it all when we record it the first time round, but I don't think Pete really said anything bad about it. He just said some of the some of the graphics are a little bit a little bit off, but he, he didn't actually say he disliked it at any point. So it was quite a funny conversation that was uh, that was born out of the out of the back of our piece on the wallpaper. But they both got quite defensive about uh, what they were passionate about. But well, I, I'm putting that down to Fuzzy Buzzy's Jedi mind tricks because um, he obviously picked up on something because he was absolutely bang on correct because Pete did not like that wallpaper as came up in the conversation. So watch when when we're recording these shows, we've got to keep our minds absolutely pure because I think Fuzzy Buzzy must have some kind of telepathy thing going on there. That's uh, not actually true because the reason that Pete's not here recording as we speak is because he's on his other PC just uh, finalising the PayPal details for uh, a roll of... Star Wars sealed wallpaper that he's just <laughs> picked up for just over 50 quid off of eBay. <laughs> I hope Pete's not planning on cutting it up then and framing it and selling them on eBay at some point. Right, some great feedback again, which we all appreciate. If you want to contact us or discuss any item on the show or leave us feedback, you can email us at swfukpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at swfukpodcast or find us on Facebook. If you do enjoy what we are doing, uh, we'd really appreciate any reviews on iTunes. And, of course, you can still find our previous shows on iTunes or at swfukpodcast.podbean.com. Be sure to enter this month's competition to be in with a chance of winning Ben's magnificent mystery prize. And, finally, I just want to say a huge thank you to Joe O'Brien and David Moss for giving up their spare time this month to speak to us here at the podcast. We truly appreciate you both giving your time. Once again, be sure to check out Joe's website, 
at trilogo.info. You won't regret it. So, that's it for this month then. So it's goodbye from Pete. Being held by you isn't quite enough to get me excited. Goodbye from Grant. Thank you for listening. Goodbye from Ben. Did you just call this the Suffolk Podcast? (laughs) I think I called it a couple of things in there. Just to say goodbye. Yeah, well, thanks for listening, people. And goodbye from Rich. Later, guys. And it's good night from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of Star Wars Forum UK. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email podcast at gmail.com if you don't like this podcast tough are Star Wars products going to have the durability of say that old favourite the teddy bear teddy hello Ben your sound's <laughs> gone uh, for Ben <laughs> Ben where's Ben <laughs> his, mic, bit. his mic's been <laughs> fine until he has to record his section <laughs> It, it was actually it was before you come on before you came on it was absolutely terrible really? and then when you joined it's been absolutely perfect and now we've, got, we've lost you are you there Ben? Ben. <laughs> ben oh this is not his mic this is his internet connection yeah, exactly <laughs> can you hear me? yeah oh hello oh it's Ben am I back? okay I free one. Uh, this month, the Fred. Nah, stop. What's wrong? Can't hear you. You're choppy. What's the problem? Still choppy. It's it's a twanging noise again, isn't it? It's a. I can't. I haven't hardly got him coming through my end. Ben, you hear? Ben. Yes. Right, take a deep breath, go 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and go. Ben? As <laughs> <laughs> a massive breath is taken. <laughs> you, you did tell him he could breathe out again, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, Ben, breathe, 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 let it go, let it go. He's just sitting by his computer, he's a fake, great, big, red face. Oh. Oh, dear. I need-